speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 49 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 2 and 3 of season 4 of The Adventures of Superman. The unlucky number... And the Big Freeze. And to help me out with this week, got Bob Fisher again in the house. Hey, 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 hey. Do I get a t-shirt or some sort of a medallion or something for being like, you know, the the most frequent guest on the show? Do I? Uh... I have on my hard drive somewhere a photo of a participation medal. <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> So how are you, Mike? I'm doing. I'm doing all right. I I appear to be battling a little bit of a cold this week. You sound a little coldish. You sound yeah. like you may have a little stuffiness going on there. Yeah, I do a little stuffiness. I'm trying to avoid it. A lot in my family have it. My sister and Kim's sister, my wife's sister, my great niece, who we were all with yesterday. So I'm and they're all sniffling, and I'm trying to you know not get a cold from a five year old. I spend my life doing that. Yeah, I know. know. My little niece, I only see her every once in a while, every, you know, month or so. And she spent some time with us yesterday. And she's just getting over a cold, little sniffles. So, but yeah, unlucky number and and the big freeze tonight. Yeah. Interesting. This will be interesting talking. Yes, I'm going to warn all of you listeners right now. It will probably be difficult for us to talk about the big freeze. Without getting political. <sighs> I'll do my best. I'm going to do my best to remain nonpartisan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I was watching that episode and I was thinking, oh my God, these are a lot of the things that have been talked about in the last few mm-hmm. months. Yeah, me too. I was thinking that too. Because you don't think about it being too political. You think about it as, oh, the one with the white costume. Right. But then sitting and watching it, it was a little too close to home this time. It did. It hit, oh, man. It did hit very close to home. Yeah, so we'll have to get into a little bit of that later, I think. Right. But uh, no email this time. No, no email, but I, I have seen on Facebook that you have, uh, that you've been causing some trouble and you've, <laughs> and you've instigated a podcast. I, I have caused a little bit of trouble. I, not intentional, really. You know, I kind of like the Silver Age, and uh, I was looking around. For uh, a Batman podcast, something that, you know, focused mainly on the Silver Age, and I couldn't find one, so I just simply publicly asked if anybody knew of one. Well, my good friend and the awesome J. David Weeder, you can call him Dave, popped up and uh, said, watch out. So in the next few months, we're going to see a Silver Age podcast hosted by uh, Dave Weeder. So... Looking forward to that. That should be fun. Maybe he'll invite me on that one, and I can talk some Batman Silver Age. Yeah, it uh, it, it seems fair, as in uh, you seem to have instigated it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of, you know, hinted that 
you know, if he wanted to do it, he better get going because, you know, maybe I would do one. Yeah, you should not that I have the time to do a. You should never uh, threaten podcasters like that. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, because he got on the stick pretty quick. He but did. that's something to look forward to. There, there's some fun stuff happening in 2017. I know of at least three new podcasts that are going to take place in the world of uh, DC in 2017, and our good buddy Dave McIlvenny kind of pushed me over the edge to do one. You know, I was kind of been standing on the ledge of that one for i haven't mentioned that publicly yet but i've been standing on the ledge thinking about it for quite some time and then dave McIlvenny kind of became the gust of wind that has put me over the edge so i have a graphic into a big fall sometimes that gust of wind takes you it is it is it is amazing how far the gust of wind will take you said dorothy the shows were to oh this is your show yeah generally yeah okay good i like to think so Well, maybe we better get into this tonight. All right. (laughs) So let's take a quick break. We'll play a promo, and then uh, we'll come back with... 2,845. Well, we're not talking about that many episodes tonight. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. 2,845. Which is the unlucky number. Hang around, folks. I regret to say, sir, Batman and Robin are not at present available. What? Oh, surely you you must be jesting. Alas, sir, I am not. Gotham City is overcome by villainy on the comic page from the likes of the Joker, <laughs> the Riddler, and the Penguin. As they run rampant, only one man has the courage, the gall, and the skills to face the Silver Age. Hi, I'm J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. If you haven't guessed, this is an overly dramatic promo for my show, The Dave Cave, a Batman podcast looking at the tales of the dynamic duo from the Silver Age. Come back with me to a time when Batman was less grim, Robin was content to wear hot pants, and the villains didn't rip their own faces off. Each episode will examine a tale from the pages of comics such as Batman, Detective Comics, The Brave and the Bold, and World's Finest Comics. It's all the bat action, bat adventure, and bat puns that you can handle on The Dave Cave, available at thedavecavepodcast.com, iTunes, or the podcatcher of your choice. The Dave Cave Batman Podcast, because in the Silver Age, there were no limits. Holy unsatisfying ending. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head right into The Unlucky Number. Original broadcast date was... February 25th, 1956. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast included John Berardino as Dexter Brown, Elizabeth Patterson as Clara Exbrook, Henry Blair as Bobby Exbrook, Jack Littlefield as Boots, Russ Conklin as Randy the Collector, Alfred Linder as Slippery Elm, Alan Reynolds as Mr. Vic Kelly, the cafe owner, and Tony DeMario as the news vendor. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source on the web for Superman information. All right. Vic's lunchroom is having a contest to guess how many jelly beans are in a jar. The winner gets a $15,000 dream home. Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane wants to enter. Look. Hmm. $15,000 home, huh? All you have to do is guess the number of jelly beans in the jar. And a dollar a guess? No, thank you. Oh, but Clark. Oh, what a lovely house. Just the kind I've always dreamed about. It is nice, isn't it? But I never could guess all those jelly beans. It wouldn't be easy. 
Excuse me, ma'am, but why don't you try? As my guest, of course. Oh, that's awfully sweet of you, young man, but I'd miss it by a country mile. Well, then suppose you let me guess for you. Would that be all right? But, Clark, a minute ago... Young lady, you go right in there and guess 2,845. 2,845? That's right, and you better hurry before they start the count. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Clark Kent, professional jelly bean counter. What in the world got into you? It's not what got into me, Lois. It's what got into that store just a minute ago. Oh, that explains it. Now, let's go back to the office and ask the chief to give you a nice, long vacation. Well, thank you, but I don't need a nice, long vacation. I was referring to that little character in there with the eyeglasses. All right. What about him? Unless I'm mistaken, he's an old-time confidence man named Slippery Elm. You mean this contest might be crooked? Come on, let's go in and find out what's going on. Clark learns that he may be correct when Elm goes to a table shortly after the jelly beans are counted. 28.45. That's it, folks. 2,845 jelly beans. Oh, I just can't believe it. Clark, I think there's something fishy going on around here. If I hadn't thought so, I wouldn't have gotten in the act. Looks like my lucky day, Mr. Kelly. I only missed it by three. I don't guess anybody else can come that close. Congratulations, sir. Of course, we'll have to check the other entries to be fair, but it sure looks like a winner to me. What? He didn't win it. I did. I've got it exactly. 2,845. And my stub is right in that little box. You must be wrong, ma'am. Nobody could guess it exactly. Excuse me, sir. Ma'am, if you won the house, it's yours. I'll be by tomorrow with the deed. Wait a minute. We... Fair is fair. Now, you run along, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this is the happiest day of my life. Congratulations, ma'am. Can I speak with you? Oh, young man, how can I ever thank you enough? Well, that won't be necessary, ma'am. Oh, Lois, why don't you walk our friend down the corner? I'll be along in just a minute. You better be. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. <laughs> However... Clark later over here, slippery elm and boot stocking. I know it's impossible, but she did it, didn't she? Yeah, and I got an idea how. What do you mean, slippery? We had it all rigged, right? I was supposed to win. Miss it by three just to make it look good. And then us and the boys split up all the money, right? Get to the point. The point is, only three of us knew the exact number. And one of us decided to cash in on it. Yeah, and if it ain't you, if it ain't me, that leaves Dexter. Exactly. Dexter Brown has rented a room at Mrs. Exbrook's house for the past five years. What are you doing out here, kid? It's too hot to sleep in the house. Grandma said it's all right. Well, then go back to bed. Where have you been? Look, kid, just because I've been renting a room here for the last five years doesn't mean i got to answer questions every time I come home. Hey, you know what Grandma did? She won a house in a jelly bean contest at Kelly's. She what? They shot you! The bullets, they bounced right off you. You're dreaming, kid. 
When you wake up in the morning, it'll all be a bad dream. I go back to bed. Get out of here. I told you never to come into my room, never. You don't scare me now, because I know who you really are. What do you mean you know who I am? Sure. That's why they tried to shoot you. And why the bullets bounced off. Okay, kid. Get it out of your system. Who am I? You're Superman. Are you? Guess there's no sense to deny it, Bobby. That's right. I am Superman. Gee. Superman. Living in my house. Wait till I tell the kids. Now listen, Bobby. You can't tell anybody, understand? You're the only person in the world who knows this. You go around telling people, it'd spoil everything. Oh, I'm sorry, Dix. I mean, Superman. I won't tell honest. boy. Now remember, no matter how things look or whatever happens, you just gotta trust me. You see, it isn't easy being Superman. Oh, I won't tell. That's right, kid. Now you go on back to bed. I might have to do a little flying tonight. Sure. Good night, Superman. Night, kid. Hey, that's a gun. What do you need a gun for? Well, that's evidence, Bobby. When I turn a crook over to the cops, I gotta have evidence, don't I? Yeah, that's right. Evidence. Good night again, Superman. Night, kid. Even Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson doesn't learn anything when he comes to the expert home to investigate the attempt on Dexter's life. In spite of things going unintentionally well for Dexter Brown, he is still worried. A bulletproof vest saved him before, but he may not be so lucky in the future. It is the next day in the offices of the Daily Planet. Say, Clark, what was the name of that little old lady we met yesterday? Mm, I don't remember, Lois. Uh, Barbrook, Expert, something like that. Why? Well, I think it was Expert and maybe a coincidence, but there's a little item here about a family with that name. Oh, what's it say? Early this morning, police investigated a reported shooting in front of 18 Sycamore Street, the residence of Mrs. Clara Exbrook, her grandson Bobby, and Dexter Brown, a boarder. Apparently... Well, wait just a minute. Did you say Dexter? Yeah, why? Oh, nothing. That's what you said about guessing the jelly beans. I'd still like to know about that one. Oh, come on now, Lois. Haven't you ever had a lucky hunch that turned out to be right? Well, I suppose so. Well, there you are. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an errand to do. He decides to investigate as Superman. All our hero finds is Bobby, who believes him to be Dexter. Hi, what are you doing back here? I've never been here before. Hey, you look different. You even talk different. I've always looked and talked just like this. Oh, I get it. Uh, you wear a disguise when you're Superman. Um, Bobby, tell me something. Do you think that you've seen me before? Oh, cut it out. You're just testing me to see if I'll talk. Well, I did want to ask you a few questions. Well, go ahead. All right. But I want the truth now. Did anything happen around here last night? I mean, like a shooting? Ah, uh, you know what happened. Yes, but perhaps you better tell me again. Okay. I'll tell you. If you'll bend this horseshoe. There. Wow. I couldn't even budge it. Now, uh, crush this with your hand. Of course, you know this is practically blackmail. How's that? 
That's swell. Now put it together. All right, but no more tricks. You've promised me an answer. There you are. Now let's have the answer. Did anything happen around here last night? Nothing. Nothing at all happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, look, Bobby, it's a little public here. Could we go inside? Sure. But I don't know what you're testing me for. I said I wouldn't tell. Why don't you take off your disguise now? What's the matter? Oh, uh, nothing, Bobby. What did you just ask me? I said, do you want to take off your disguise? Bobby, I don't know what is going on here, but just who do you think I am? I'll tell you if you melt that with your x-ray vision. Oh, blackmail again, huh? All right. Gee, could you teach me to do that? Bobby, there's something I want you to remember. No one, but no one can do the things that Superman does. And that goes especially for flying. Now answer my question. Who do you think I am? I don't think I know. You're Superman. Bobby, you have all the makings of a very good lawyer. I'll be seeing you again. So long, Superman. So long, Bobby. The Man of Steel's inquiries get him nowhere, but his powerful eyes see the jar of jelly beans in Dexter's room. As Lois and Clark check out the phony contest throughout the city, Bobby follows Dexter. The boy sees him collecting raffle ticket money a few days ahead of schedule. He and Randy the Collector discuss Boots' attempt to kill Dexter. Dex? Boots tried to get me killed last night. Killed? That ain't very nice of the boss. How come you fell off the popularity list? I'm not sure. Somehow my landlady managed to win the jelly bean gimmick. Boots must have figured I was playing both sides of the street. Or was you? No, but I am now. I'm taking over, Randy, and I figured you and some of the other boys might want to come along. It all depends. Unless they developed a cure for having your head blown off. Listen, I think I can pull the whole outfit right out from under it. And this is what we start with. What did you do? Collect a couple of days early? Yeah. It'll throw the boss's operation. Bobby knows of this plan. Worse yet, the winning stub is in Lois's name. I heard you. And I saw you dump that money out. You can't lie out of that. Okay, kid. I won't lie to you, but you got to let me explain. There's nothing to explain. Sure there is, kid. Let's look at it this way. When I'm Superman, I help a lot of people, right? I guess so. So I got a right to a little something for myself, don't I? Besides, Superman helps a lot of people, spends a lot of money. It's sort of like I'm financing Superman. That makes sense, doesn't it? You're still a crook. What do you want me to do? Get a job that I have to work all day so I can only be Superman at night? People need help in the daytime, too, you know. I always thought Superman was the greatest guy in the world. And I was proud when I thought he was you. I'm not proud anymore. You think it over. By morning, you'll see I'm right. Now go in and get ready for the show. I gotta help some people in a little while, and I don't want anybody around. Dexter has captured Lois after giving Bobby and his grandmother money to go to the movies. Bobby, however, snuck out of the cinema where Mrs. Exbrook fell asleep. Now, the teen is also Dexter's hostage. With Superman unaware of what's going on, it looks like Bobby and Lois have found themselves in a situation that could mean death for them.
Slippery Elm and Boots are closing in on Dexter. Bobby has locked him in the closet, believing that the confidence man is Superman. The boy even dares Boots and Elm to shoot through the door, and the pair of criminals are surprised to find Superman. Even Lois thinks that Dexter is the man to steal after the racketeers are dealt with. Boy, oh boy, that was really something, Dex. I still can't believe it, after all these years. You can come out now, Dexter. Dex! Now I know I'm crazy. I'm not Superman, Bobby. That was a lie. The real Superman broke into the closet from the back and protected me from the bullets. He saved my life. But how did you know we were even here? Well, I happened to be near the Planet Building, Miss Lane, and I saw Dexter bump into you, so I thought I'd come along just in case. Why did you lie to me, Dex? I don't know, Bobby. I guess it made me feel like a big man. And I guess when I turned crooked, it made me feel like a big man. But now I know I'm just a little man, and I'll take what's coming to me. After that, I'd like to try to make it up to you and your grandma. Well, I can see I'm not going to have any more trouble with you, Dexter. Do you think you can handle these two until the police arrive? Be a pleasure, Superman. And my work here is done. Bobby, will you please open those windows? Thank you. Alright, so, Bob, what do you think of this one? I actually like this one. I like this one on several levels. One, kid's name's Bobby. Come on. Well, can't go wrong with that. Really, you know. A uh, very popular name, then they used it several times. Remember, actually, in the elephant. Oh, you haven't gotten to the elephant one yet. No, I haven't gotten to an elephant yet. That's a Bobby as well. I don't think I'll be here for that one, though. But good luck. Have fun with that one. But I do like this one. There's a lot of them coming up, and I'm going to have fun with the end of season four. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did like this one quite a bit, actually. There's several things. There's some good acting in it. And uh, I like Dexter. Dexter is a real actor, a real guy. You know, he's been around. He's done some really good stuff. But just sticking to the story itself. I believe the actor who played Dexter spent about 30 years on General Hospital, I believe. Yeah, I think he was just around for a long, long time on TV. Right. But... You know, I really like him here. He was very serious, and uh, there's several scenes that we'll get to when you start doing the scene-by-scene scene that I want to mention a few things about. But overall, I really did like this. I like the ideas. I think it was, you know, it's something that was typical on both the radio show, and I'm trying to think if they actually did anything like this one in the comics. I don't remember one about, but they probably did back in the time, uh, comic similar to the story but in the radio show they did a story similar to this where it was rackets and you know penny cards and <clears throat> i'm thinking how can you make enough money at quarter a piece here what's you know you had to sell a lot of raffle tickets well, to give what away a, a fifteen thousand dollar house what a, what a quarter a piece. piece they were selling those tickets a dollar each uh i thought the last one that lois bought the guy said that'll be a quarter well that one might have been but i don't but remember what I don't remember what the prize for that piece for the house. Yeah, I think that a car was the prize for uh, the one Lois bought. Oh, okay. Because the house was the jelly bean, right? And, and that was a dollar. Yeah, which okay, which would be about eight dollars today. Right. That's and a lot of money. At, that's a lot of money 15, for a raffle. A lot of money, but and the house at fifteen thousand would be how much today? About one hundred thirty-three. Okay. Which, so. depending on where you live, yeah, could get you something decent. Right, that's good. Location, location, location. If you're here, uh, if you're yeah. where I live, yeah, it's probably getting you a hovel. Yeah, uh, a friend of ours lives in San Francisco. You're not going to get much in it for a hundred grand in in San Francisco either. No, 
small efficiency condos are going for two and three million. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So location, location, location. Around here, you can buy a one bedroom condo for 154. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, but overall, I do like this. Like I said, when we get to some of the individual scenes, I'll mention some of those parts that I like because there are some things particular to the little me, Bobby, right. that I like about this show, too. And watching it today, I thought, yeah, I still like that area, that part. So yeah, overall, yeah, I give this one a, a good solid B. It's, it's just it looks good. George looks good in the costume. Slightly different color blue again, which I like the little darker blue. I just think the costume looks really good. Yeah, we're still in that phase where the costume looks pretty good. Yeah, and George looks good in it. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I think George will look good in it for the remainder of this season. I believe it's starting with season five. Yeah, I think about halfway through season five. Is when uh, George starts showing his age, and all of season six. Yeah, all of season six. George starts showing his age a little the bit. The sweat stain, the short sleeves, the sleeves crawling up on him, the hair that he's not quite dying dark black anymore. Uh all of those things, yeah. But right now, in this particular, which I guess was shot at some point in the fall of 55 yeah. or so. so. But yeah, so what did you think of it overall? It was a decent episode. It was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked the little gag with the jelly beans. And uh, I spent a lot of time on that newsstand scene with, at that newsstand with Lois. Yeah, well, I have notes on that when we get to it. I know what those comics are. Yeah, so do I. It took me about 20 minutes to get them all, but uh, I got it. Well, I only did the major ones, the Superman, the Batman. And well, the yeah, Superman. that was the only thing. I, well, that took me 20 minutes. Oh. <laughs> all right. Then we'll get to that one later. But yeah, yeah. that was a fun little episode. I liked. There were a couple of times that I wanted to, you know, see Bobby get slapped. Well, of course. Of course. And again, like they did in this entire series except for the elephant and a couple of other episodes the little girl birthday wish or some other things right usually they have an actor playing way younger than he actually is right i mean this guy is probably 18 19 20 years old and playing 15 maybe 16 yeah so i don't know they keep making him have i don't know if this is the direction or just the actor but he always had this big doofy smile right yeah right. Well, you're a kid acting with George Reeves for crying out loud. Well, I'd yeah. have been, I would have had a shit-eating grin on my face the whole time, too. And did, and did all kids in the 50s have huge ears like that? It does look like that. Isn't it funny? Because <laughs> of the way the hair is yeah. cut and everything. There's a lot of big ears. It looks like Paul Ryan politically yeah. nowadays. Paul yeah. Ryan has those huge ears sticking out. Right. But yeah. Very typical. All right. So let's get into this thing. All right. So we start with them walking by the uh, the little window of the deli there. And it's always nice when Clark uh, agrees with me on something. I agree that the one dollar chances were a little were a little high priced, a little high to count jelly beans, right? Right. I mean, you'll pay a dollar for something like that now. So mm. in nineteen fifty five, a dollar seemed a little high for that. Mm, probably. But apparently, for some reason, I guess this was after. Uh, I don't know if this was before or after he saw Slippery Elm walk in. Clark is willing to guess the number of jelly beans for the old lady who was walking by. Yeah, he saw he saw the other guy and then decided to change and uh, tell the old lady the correct number of jelly beans. Right. 2,845 jelly beans. I'm not buying it. There's no way there's that many jelly beans in that jar. I'd like to know how many there really were. I know. That's something that I've always wondered. Like, there are even not as, Even as a kid. There are not that many jelly beans in that jar. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I have no judgment on that. I have no concept of what that many jelly beans looks like, but I don't know. The jelly beans seem too big and the jar seemed too small. Right. And those were good old time 50s jelly beans. They were going to be made of real sugar. They were going to be sweet as hell and just delicious. Absolutely delicious. Like to have a big bag of those right now. Mm. Don't remind me. Mm. I love jelly beans. Me too. The old lady has now gotten the number from Clark, the dollar. She's excited. She's going in. She's placed her bet. And uh, they call out the numbers. One of the guys starts counting. And she is putting a lot of stock into winning this thing. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it seems like, you know, if she loses, that she's going to go into depression here because. Listen, Clark gave her, you know, a lot of hope. He basically said, you go right in there and you're going to, he basically said, you're going to win that house. Yeah, and I kind of question the wisdom of what Clark is doing here. Uh, yeah. Because both he and Lois think there's something wrong with this. Yes. But if that and if that's the case, why did Clark involve the old woman? Right, and then which leads to many, many more coincidences. Not just the old woman, but the old woman who happens to be who the happened? landlord of the third crook. Yeah, which. Yeah, that's a lot of big coincidence. It's a completely unnecessary coincidence. Yeah, and the other thing that gets me a little bit about this is Lois and Clark, we assume now, because of what they say, they think something is fishy about this raffle, this jelly bean thing, right? Right. But there are apparently other people who have put the money in because that was their scam. Get all these people to put their dollars in, but one of your guys is going to win the house. So that you don't actually have to give away a $15,000 house. Right. So all those other people who put their real dollars in, isn't Clark as guilty as Dexter? He's rigged it himself. Now, he's counted. He knows exactly. It's not a guess. Clark knows that there's 2,845 jelly beans in that jar. Right. And he's just told this woman. So he knows she's going to win and beat out. Maybe there was somebody in that thing that had legitimately gotten closer. Right. I mean, the the bad guy's idea was, well, we're going to make it look good by only missing it by three because right. nobody's going to get that close. And he's probably right. I mean, and again, I like you. I want to know how many were there really in that jar? How did they come up with 2845 for the show? Right. What if there was only 400 jelly beans in reality? Right. No, there's more. I think there's a lot more. They're, they're probably pretty close. I don't know. And one thing that, that's never actually addressed is, well, we both know there's no house. We assume there's no house. That's the fraud. We never find out what happens when they tell Mrs. Exbrook that there's no house. Uh, did they? Because he actually said, you go home and we'll bring you your deed tomorrow. But they never told us that there was really no house. The idea was that one of their guys was going to win the house so they wouldn't have to give it away. Right. So either the house, they own the house but don't want to give it away or there is no house at all. Well, I don't think there's any house at their place planning to give away they just never address this they just kind of right they just let it go they just, they just let it go and that might have been okay if we never saw this woman again but she ends up holy crap i just thought of something somebody owes her a house what if the deed is for her house <laughs> dexter is living there five years which is also something weird they didn't really act like they have known each other for five years right well Although the old woman did when she talked to dexter she would say stuff like, Dexter, see if you can get the boy to eat. Right. So she acted like she'd known him and he'd been there for a while. You know, it was a little awkward the first time or so. Yeah, but either way, it doesn't matter whose house it is or if there's a house, it's never addressed. Right. Never addressed. Ever. Right. So apparently we find out that the uh, 
The contest was rigged for Slippery to win, and only one other person knew how many jelly beans were really in the jar, and that was Dexter. Right. So, huge coincidence. Right. He is living in her house. He is renting a room from her. And I don't know how that works when you're renting a room. I mean, does he eat dinner with them? Does he have meals with them, or does he just live, it in, it live in his room? Uh, it could have been all of the above or none of the above. Right. I'm sure periodically, and sometimes he ate with them as well, and they did, you know, regular. Right. But uh, who knows? But he definitely uh, wasn't big on Bobby coming into his room. Mm-mm. If you're a crook, would you want the kid just walking in? I'm not a crook, and I just barely want the kid just walking in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. but is this is this after the gun is shot at him? The kid no, thinks he's Superman. No, that's, about, that's about to happen right now because uh, Dexter shows up at the house and Bobby is uh, on the porch because apparently it's too hot to sleep in the house. Apparently, or the, maybe the windows don't open or something. I don't know. Right, especially in a little house like that. Yeah. But anyway, it's too hot to sleep inside, so he's sleeping outside, and he's excited to tell Dexter that. Uh, his grandmother won a jelly bean contest, which pretty much sends Dexter to cardiac arrest. Yep. And like I said, it's just an unnecessary coincidence. He could have been renting this house from anybody and, and anybody's grandmother. And the story is no different. Right. But that it adds to the fact that how could the old lady know, oh, Dexter must have told her. And oh, by the way, because she's living, you know, he lives with her. Right. So the coincidence is a, a little more. Yeah. You know, I don't. Maybe. I don't know. Do they know that that's his landlady? Not until the next day, when I think Lois figures it out. Right. I don't know if Boots and uh, Elm know. Anyway, it just. I don't, know. I don't know. A lot of stuff is left. again. We don't have enough information. <laughs> right. So, but they're con- they're convinced that Dexter is told how many were in the jar, and this gets him shot in a drive-by shooting, and the bullets bounce off of him, uh, and this causes Bobby to think Dexter is Superman. Dexter's response. Go to bed, kid. You're dreaming. <laughs> so, Bobby does. And Dexter looks awfully good for somebody who just got shot in the gut. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see that he was wearing a bulletproof vest on his shirt. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> viewers and listeners, the car drives by, shoots Dexter. And not like one bullet. I mean, it's like a machine gun. Yeah. Bat, 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 bat. He catches them all as they bounce off of his chest. Or he's holding his hands to his stomach. I'm rather amazed that Bobby didn't catch any. Me too. And then, because Bobby just moves to one side, watching Dexter, as the bullets hit him, Dexter grabs his stomach. Bobby says, Dex, you've been shot. Dexter opens his hands, and like half a dozen or more bullets fall to the floor. They all fall down. Bobby bends down and picks one up. Right. And says, they had to have bounced off of you. You must be Superman. Right. Well, what, what else would you think in that world? Dexter also picks one of the bullets up. Flips it, and then tells the kid to go to bed. And he walks in the house, right? Yep. Bobby goes in, and they have this little conversation in the in Dexter's room. Right, because Bobby just walks into... Uh, into Dexter's room. Which is... So he's not very big on privacy, and... Right. This might well, not be Bobby a lot... first now. Bobby first now, he sits on the front porch thinking about it. Right. Dexter goes into his room, changes into his pajamas, and we see for the first time that he had on... Uh, a bulletproof vest. Right. After he's got his pajamas on is when De- uh, Bobby comes in. So now the two of them are talking, right? Right. Bobby goes back out on the front porch after the little conversation. Right. Inspector Henderson shows up and says, oh, the neighbors complained there was a shooting. Did you see anything? Bobby says, no. 
Henderson pulls out a little notepad, writes his name on it or something. Right. He makes well, a make tiny his, little making his report. You know, Right, and I also think that's interesting that Inspector Henderson went out for the shooting report, not yeah. just a regular cop. Yeah, I, I made a note about that, too. Uh, this is something a uniformed officer normally does. Yeah. I call this, we need to get Robert Shane some work day. we got to <laughs> get him in the scene somehow. So he makes his only appearance. Right, and we do not see him again. This Right. This could uh, have been Officer John Doe, and again, the story doesn't change. Right, could have been anybody, but it happens to be Inspector Henderson. And... Henderson is standing on the very front porch half hour later, 20 minutes later, the shooting. Right. Okay. Where are the bullets? Well, maybe I didn't see, but maybe Dexter took them with him. Dexter picked one of them up and went inside. Bobby had one that he bent down and picked up. So there should still be five, six, seven, eight bullets down there, right there on the front porch. Yeah, there should be. They didn't. They just left. They didn't explain to us what happened to the rest of the bullets because Henderson should have tripped over them. Was there a shooting here? Oh, no. Nothing happened. Wait, and did, Henderson, did Henderson go all the way to the porch? Yes. He stood up on the front porch. Okay. Up right up on the porch. I wonder if he was on the porch or like in front of the house. Well, he was standing right at where Dexter got shot. Right. Well, by then, the, no, sec, no the sec crew came through and cleaned them off. Yeah. You know, it's like in uh, Flight to the North when... Uh, Oh, the ice suddenly fell off Superman. Right. Somebody came in and cleaned it up. Yep. So anyway, the bullets were gone. So um, so I guess this is now when the next day when... Well, uh, before we get to that, what do you think of Dexter kind of stringing along Bobby here? Well, I think he was in kind of a, you know, speaking from his point of view, he's in kind of a tough spot. The kid saw him get shot. He's got to figure something out. The kid thinks he's Superman. Sure, why not? Right. Why not? Wouldn't have been the first thing I would have gone to, but... Who knows? Well, but that's where Bobby went. Right, that's where Bobby went right away. Gee, you must be Superman. Right. And why exactly is Dexter wearing a bulletproof vest? Because uh, he... It's almost like he he's was... expecting to get shot. Yes. And I think that was it. He is taking no chances here. It's a rough, rough business he's in. Yes, but he hasn't done anything yet. Well, that we know of. Well, yeah, I mean, he hasn't done anything to make that he would think they want to kill him for. Not yet, no. But it just maybe it was just something that because he's in the kind of business he's in, he regularly wore a right. bulletproof vest. Either way, he does. So apparently, this non-shooting <laughs> was so right. important that it made the Daily Planet already by the next day. Mm-hmm. No bullets, no police investigation, nothing. Just rumors of a shooting. And the paper says early this morning. Uh huh. There is no way a 1955 newspaper. Is turning this thing around this quickly, especially when they think nothing happened. Yep. Although in and the in the fifties they put out uh, an early edition that went to press, so they would have been doing the work at three or four in the morning to get that out on the street by five or six. So assuming this took place at late night, even though they say early morning, they probably meant after midnight. Right. There's. Well, we don't know what time of day this is, but we're assuming it's the morning. Yes. But there's just we no way it's logistically possible to turn it around as quickly as they have. That would, that well, but that's, that's always been a problem in this show. Something right. happens on the street or something happens, and practically within minutes, the Daily Planet has an extra out on it. And there's no way in hell a newspaper has all this information. Mm-mm. They're mm. And they're not shooting. They're not listing everyone who lives in the house. Yeah. Including Dexter, including Burns. the including the border, mm-hmm. which you know I can look up an address and find out who owns a house for very right, e- very easily. 
Public record. That's public record, but what's not public record is who actually lives there. Right. I mean, in some places, if the owner lives there, the owner lives there, but... Maybe they have another reporter at the Daily Planet who's right. even better than Jimmy Lois and Clark. I bet, he doesn't and, have a, I bet he doesn't have his own office. And they got the story. Well, of course not. He's out on the street getting the story. Right. So, so anyway, you can tell from the tax records what the owner's home address is because it's, it's always listed. And obviously, if they have a different address, they're renting it to somebody. But right. you don't have the names on the tax records of who's renting it. No. So there's no way they have who the boarder was. Unless they were told and, uh, you know what, Bobby didn't tell him anything. But Dexter's name has to be there because that's what's going to uh, connect Clark to what he heard at the uh, Jelly Bean Contest. Plot! Yes, and that is the Daily Planet's newspaper's purpose in this show a lot of times to advance the plot. Absolutely. And Clark calls it a lucky hunch and Lois seems to buy it at least to Clark's face. (laughs) We get some uh, more of that fourth wall breaking that we saw in the magic necklace. This time with Lois. I like when they do that from time to time. Yeah. It's not technically fourth wall breaking, though. She doesn't, like, look at the camera or anything. It's not like the way Perry does it. In the Magic Necklace, after Clark leaves his office, he looks straight at the camera and he asks, where would I look for Superman if I really did want him? Mm. That's almost like he's asking the audience. Right. But no, technically not, but you could take it that way if you wanted to. Right. So, now we see Bobby, who apparently also... Works out on his porch. Maybe there's a girl across the street who likes to watch him uh, work his delts. And uh, that's when Superman shows up. And confusion is going to ensue here. Because Bobby mm-hmm. thinks this is Dexter. Right. And Superman... In spite of the fact that Superman now is about three inches taller and has no resemblance to Dexter whatsoever. But they do have the same color hair. Yeah. More or less. <laughs> kind of combed the same way, too. Yeah. But everybody, all Every, of them did. Everybody combed their hair like that in the, in the yeah. 50s. Brill cream, a little dabble do ya. Brill cream. Oh. So. They love to run the fingers through your hair. Come on. Am I and Dave McElvinny the only two people who remember that commercial? Well, I don't know who else is listening, but. Brill cream, a little dabble do ya. Okay. We'll have Dave sing it for us. <laughs> So, uh, but where are we? Where are we? We're right at the scene uh, where, oh, yeah, Bo- where Bobby... Oh, this is, this is interesting. Superman is now with Bobby on the front porch. And, you know, almost the way Superman sits down and talks to Bobby... Yeah. He's talking to him in a very familiar fashion. Yes. Almost as if he knows him. Well, I think Superman would. Superman would make you, if he sat down with a stranger... I love this scene. If, if Superman sat down with you as a kid for the first time... Right. That's exactly how he would talk to you. Like, we're friends. I'm serious. This is fun. I want to talk to you. I've got some stuff to say. He looks good. But what I wanted to mention, here's one of the scenes of something that was special to me even as a kid when I saw it in black and white, but then just totally reinforced this great feeling when I first saw it in color. When Superman takes those barbells, that little dumbbell thing, Uh and crushes it or bends it. Right. Right? They show a really nice close-up of his boots. Yes, they do. Those boots are absolutely gorgeous. They are red, kind of a suede leather boot. They're gorgeous. I have wanted those boots since I was like five years old, six years old. To this day, I want a pair of those boots, red velvet boots. I want those boots. They're absolutely 
perfect. They're gorgeous, gorgeous boots. And we see them two or three times in the scene when he takes his hands down to bend that thing, and then they reverse the film to make him put it back. Right. So we don't get a lot of good looks at uh, at his boots in this show. Hardly ever. And yeah. this is one of the few scenes where the camera is focused on him for, you know, 15 seconds right. or so. And it's just, you just, uh, they're perfect boots. They're just gorgeous. And they fit him well. And it, yeah, everything about those boots I really like. He's got, he has the best on-screen boots, I think. Oh, absolutely. Those, those are just, those are just the great, great. And if DC Comics had talked to me when I was yelling for them to bring back Superman's red boots, these are the boots they should have looked at. Not some metallic metal armor boot thing. This high quality, classy red suede boots. Just gorgeous. Yeah, they like to they like to make the boots a little shiny now. Yeah, I don't care for the shiny boots, but uh, but this is also a good scene because here's Bobby's blackmailing him, and then you know Superman does still doesn't get all the questions answered he wants, and no. Superman at this point says, "Well, can we go inside where it's more private?" Right. And this is where Bobby tries to, you know, make Superman think he actually knows who he is, but then right. won't say it. It's so he still doesn't come out and say it, and he still keeps Superman confused, and he blackmails him one more time which is another little kind of a goof thing in this show. Right. When Bobby says, uh, okay, I'll tell you, melt this horseshoe with your yeah. uh, x-ray vision. And he doesn't even say the heat of your x-ray vision. He just says, no, melt well, this horseshoe. The TV show doesn't say heat of his x-ray vision. No, the, the comic books did. But Bobby said, here, okay, I'll tell you, melt this horseshoe with your x-ray vision. And Superman says, okay, and almost kind of an anxious anger. He's not really angry. but He's getting frustrated with Bobby at this point. Getting a little impatient here, and he just looks at it and goes, and the horseshoe just melts. Right. Right? Well, here's the problem. The horseshoe that's being melted by this intense heat is sitting on something that would have disintegrated had that melt. (laughs) It would have gone right through it. It's like one of those little thin... Trays, TV trays right. at the time or something. It would have just, the horseshoe would have fallen right through it. So just another fun little oops. But it worked for the effect. And it, it was very cool. And George did look, or Superman looked in this one at this point. All right. But I'm getting a little irritated at all this blackmail. You can see it on his face, too. Yeah, you really could. So I really liked that scene, too. And then when he still didn't get what he wants. That's he why Superman little, turned the heat of his extra vision on Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, no. It was no. That's what I was hoping would happen. No. And, right in that uh, stupid grin of those Dumbo ears. Yep. So out the window he goes. Oh, but I did like the lawyer crack. Same, oh yeah. That he got the yes. making of an excellent lawyer. I did like that. Yes. Very, and he, it wasn't a compliment. No, it was not. And uh, so then George does a real nice jump out of a window without the springboard. Well, there's been no springboard since the color. Yeah. Uh, there are springboards, though. You just don't see them. But not when he jumps out of windows anymore. Not out of windows. Not out of these windows. But they're very low window seals, so he doesn't kick his knees or shins. And the mattress that he falls on... Is right on the other side of the, of the window. Is pretty much right on the other side. But it's big and it's far enough so that he can take a good fall on that and a nice tumble. And it's far enough away. So right after he flies out the window, he flies in and out of the commercial break. Which was which was interesting, cause you don't see that a lot. No. He, he's flying as it fades out, and as it fades in, he's still flying. Yes. And then gets back to the Daily Planet. Right. Lois is impatiently waiting for him. Right, because Perry just uh, gave her an assignment. Right. 
to uh Gee, I wonder what the assignment was. Yeah, all of a sudden Henderson <laughs> believes that the raffles are phony. Yeah. How does Henderson even know anything about the raffles? Right. How do any of them know anything about any of it? Right. But I know you know, I know how Lois and Clark know about them, but Actually that little scene with Perry and Lois was a little weird. It was weird. You wanted to see me, Chief? Yes, where's Kent? Off on some wild goose chase, I suppose. If he was, I think the wild goose would be chasing him. Well, I've got a job for you two. I've just been talking to Inspector Henderson, and he seems to think that some of these raffles and jelly bean contests around here are phonies. Could be. Oh, what do you want us to do? Snoop around, buy a lot of tickets. Get a line on the operations. It may lead into a story. Right. You just leave it to us. Oh, naturally, naturally. I'm just the editor. I wouldn't think of telling my reporters what to do. I didn't mean that, Chief. Just get the story, Miss Lane. That's all I ask. The story. Yes, sir. Is Perry is saying Henderson told him about this thing. There's a story in it. And Lois kind of gets this weird look on her face and says, oh, leave it to us, Chief. We'll take care of it. Oh, yes. Why would I do anything? Why would I, as editor, tell my reporters any? It didn't make it was almost a Jimmy Olsen scene. You always get the feeling that, uh, this episode might have been running short. That they needed to pad it in a few places? Like the the, the extended flying scene. Yeah. And now this. Yeah. I think you might be onto something there. But but it didn't affect it as a kid, and I still enjoyed it no. mostly this time. But but I, th- I see what you mean there, because there are scenes that just didn't really make sense other than them just, you know, to be there. Because uh, Lois and Clark could have got after, and maybe even the scene in Clark's office, too, right after this. But... Lois and Clark could have gone after the raffles without having been told to by Perry. Well, right, because it should have been a follow-up to what they already saw with the bean, the jelly beans. Right. And then the Dexter thing, the coincidence of the person who wins is, you know, all that stuff. It should have been enough for them already without Perry having to tell them that they think the dollar raffle and the games around town may be fraud. Go check on it, Lois. Buy a bunch of raffles. Right, but I did like the uh, little playful moment between Lois and Clark as she runs down all the things Clark has done with uh, his yes. day. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, they, Lois changed clothes, by the way. Oh, yeah. In the first scene with the jelly bean counting, she had her typical that bright blue, that real nice royal blue dress with the white hat and the little white trim. Now she's kind of in a silvery, grayish outfit. Yeah, don't worry, the blue dress will come back. Oh, yeah, for the next several years. Right. <laughs> she's really the only one who gets a wardrobe change from time to time. Yeah, actually, she does have four or five different outfits that she wears. So continuity had to be a little trickier with her than any of the other ones. Which All is- of the other characters basically had the same outfit every time. And, and that was why, because they would film Multiple Perry's shows, office... Like- in one di- stuff in, in the in the planet in one day, right. so they would do a bunch of episodes. Exactly. I think Jimmy uh, got in trouble once, Jimmy Jack Larson, because he did alternate bow ties. I think he said I saw in an interview that he had three or four bow ties, right, and didn't always pay attention to which one he had on when. Now you you would think that they wouldn't give him multiple style bow ties; that they would have given him three or four of the same bow tie. Right, but uh, I think he may have done that on his own, maybe. I don't know. Well, he should, he shouldn't be say. doing that. He shouldn't be, because, you know. But I did hear that in the, one of the interviews, he said he had multiple right. bow ties and didn't always keep them straight. I'm sure Clark didn't wear the same suit every day. 
I'm sure he had multiple versions of uh, his suit. Maybe, because if he did, that means Henderson also had multiple copies of the same exact light brown tan suit that he wore. Well, maybe not Henderson. And Perry had the same gray pinstripe suit that he wore. Maybe not so much the secondary characters. Yeah. Because they're not seen nearly as much, but George Reeves had to have had at least two. You would hope, because it would have probably gotten pretty foul. Right. You know, that same thing all, every day, all day, five at, days a week. At some point, it'd have to go to the laundry. Just right. saying. So, And maybe that's what Clark was doing when Lois couldn't find it. He was washing his suit. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question, because I see in websites and places all the time, what happened to all of Superman's costumes? But I never see anything about Clark Kent's outfits. I well, do know that, I think Metropolis. It's Clark, it's Clark Kent's outfit. Nobody cares. <laughs> right, but I think uh, the Metropolis Museum has one of George Reeves' outfits. At least has the fedora and glasses, a pair of broken glasses. Right. Well, they're not actually broken. I think one of the lenses broke, but they're very faded and cracked because of the kind of plastic materials they used in those days didn't hold up like it did today. It faded and warped. Over. Back at the house, Bobby tries to get Dexter to bend the horseshoe like Superman did, but Dexter blows him off. Ain't got time for game, kids. What do you think Bobby is trying to do here? Do you think the lie has started to come apart a little bit? A little bit. I think he's testing him first. To he see if to Dexter out, right? actually is Superman? Right. He just saw Superman. Can he see that there was no resemblance between the two men? Yeah, that's one heck of a disguise. <laughs> so, there's that. So, But, of course, in the Silver Age, everybody could wear those rubber masks that looked identical and worked perfectly. Right. And Batman could wear it a Clark Kent mask or a Superman mask over his cowl. That's his superpower. <laughs> oh, you you missed those days. Yeah. Try doing that in a movie. Have a Batman take off a mask with his and have his complete cowl underneath it. Uh, they might. Who knows? So, Lois and Clark are out of their assignment. I don't think anything further ha- happened with Dexter and uh, Bobby. It's just, I think Dexter leaves and Bobby follows him. Yeah, Bobby follows him and Dexter goes and be, you know, to be the bad guy and collect early and now he's going to try to, you know, stick it to the big boss. Right. So, here is where we get to the newsstand here. The newsstand. Clark and Lois in front of the newsstand. Want to talk about this newsstand first? Okay, let's talk about the newsstand. I spent a lot of time on this. You spent a lot of time. I spent not much time. It was very clever. You know how I did it. Because I knew which one the Superman was. So once I knew the Superman title and number, then it was just a matter of going to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics and looking at that month. And whoops, that Batman and Superboy wasn't there with that Superman. So go to the previous month. There they were. They both came out. Superboy and the Batman came out in the August of 55. Right. And the Superman came out in September. Of fifty-five. Well, the so you uh, want to you want to give the numbers? Yes, we'll start with the Superman ones because they were a little bit easier to see at first. Right. The first one is Superman Volume One, Number One Hundred One. Correct. Where Superman is kind of surrounded by the uh, hula hoop of the Rainbow Doom here, and Lois has turned into glass. It's part of the gap that I have in my collection. I go from Superman ninety-eight. Right. And I miss 99, 100, and 101 and pick back up again at 102. So I need those three comics. If anybody out there would like to send me 99, 100, and 101, I would be so grateful. I would thank you. I would say thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you would just send me several hundred dollars worth of three comic books. <laughs> so, uh, which is interesting because I found the I I did it by matching the covers. Okay, and well, I one, knew that one was one hundred one. This one was a little tricky because what? this one was a little tricky because it looks white. Yeah, in the episode. Yeah, but the, but the DC uh, the image file in the DC database, the DC wiki. Yeah, is a little yellow. It's a little yellow. Yeah. So the the scan was probably just from a paper a cover that's aged. So, but I recognize the uh, the hula hoop thing, the rainbow doom. Right, the little rainbow. The cover hula. design was easy enough to point out. Yeah, that one was pretty easy. In fact, all three of them were pretty easy. And uh, the the easiest one to identify was the Superboy issue, mm-hmm. volume one, number forty four. Right. That cover was easy to identify. Yeah, I don't have that one. The, the Batman one was a little harder, be, just for me, because you couldn't see it right away. For, right. The fir- for the first part of the scene, Lois' head was blocking it. But Yeah, but there is a thing where she steps back, or Clark steps back, and I froze it right yeah, there. Yeah, I did, too. Well, a right, pretty clear right, shot of the and Batman. You see, and you see the guy with the guitar. That's how I identified it. Exactly. Because at first so, I was trying to match it to the... Because the Batman comics of that time, the masthead, the title where it says Batman and it is the cape, right. is sometimes different colors. Yeah. So I was trying to match the colors of the masthead, but yeah. eventually she walked away and I identified it by the guy with the guitar. Right. And that is Batman Volume One, number ninety five. Correct. So if you're looking at if you're looking at the screen of this episode, freeze it. The uh, the Batman comic is on the top right mm-hmm. and immediately to the left is the Superboy volume. The Superboy number forty four. Right. And then on the bottom sh- on the shelf right below it is basically a whole shelf worth of Superman number one oh one. Right. With one copy of Superboy number 44 snuck in there. <laughs> was it? I didn't check. I didn't see that. Was there a Superboy stuck in the middle of that Yeah, one? there was another one, Superboy 44. It's just kind of stuck in there. Oh, okay. Because you see him that. holding the weight over his head around all the hula hoop, in the middle of all oh, the hula hooping. Oh, okay. Right. And I don't care. I, think looks, I, haven't, read that, I haven't read that comic. Uh, me neither. The Superboy? No. Well, I haven't read any of them, actually. But that thing, that rainbow doom looks like a hula hoop. Right. Right. Uh, I need to refresh my memory on that. It's been on the list for so long, and I think I've probably got a CBR around here of it somewhere. But yeah, um, but yeah, I've just wanted that. But one of my holy grails really is Superman Volume One, Number One Hundred. Right. I really want that comic, and I just can't find one that's still all together for anywhere reasonable anymore. Right. Yeah, my collection of Superman—it's real hard now to fill that collection in for anything that would come close to being called reasonable. I've got some action comics because when I was a kid, for some reason, the three places I got comics, mostly Jeffrey's Pharmacy, Bowles Byright, and Pine Dell Market, those three places is where I got most of my comics in Richmond every week. And for some reason, they were pretty good at getting Superman, but they didn't always either get action or I always got there too late. So I've got these holes in my action comics run that periodically I can pick one up for 10, 15, 20 bucks. Uh, but the Superman, they're three figures and more now. It's, right. it's just really hard to fill in my Superman. Once you start getting into the sub 100 volume one, right? It, it gets really, really tough. And they didn't always get all the Superboy issues either. So periodically I can pick up a, a Superboy issue here and there in this time period for uh fairly reasonable but uh it's tough it's really tough now to be a collector especially at right. my age when you're thinking you know maybe i should be 
you know, paring down the collection, not right. still building it up here, you know? So, you know, how many more Superman things do I need? Right. I don't know. But anyway, yes, good job. You went and found that it was Superman 101, Batman 95, right. and Superboy 44. And, and I didn't think there was a ton of uh, Superboy at that time. I thought Superboy came later. No, 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 no. Superboy. And I think there's going to be a new show coming up in 2017 that's going to talk a lot about Superboy. And you'll know exactly when he started, where. It was more fun comics 101, his first appearance. And uh, you guys look for that sometime in the next few months. That's what I need. More podcasts that I have to read stuff for. Uh-huh. All right. So anyway, so Lois buys a bunch of raffle tickets for the story. And I'm hoping she can expense these things. And it seems as though this dealer has no idea what he is selling. And this is where we find out right after that he's working with Dexter. Because Dexter shows up right after Lois and Clark leave. And Bobby is kind of hanging around outside, too. Bobby keeps poking his little head up behind this and that, doesn't he? Yeah, well, all he has to do is kind of stick those big ears somewhere, and he can listen. <laughs> so, apparently, Dexter, uh, is his revenge for getting shot is uh, short-circuiting Boots' operation. He's going to try to take over Boots' stuff, man. He's going to double-cross the boss. Yep, and apparently there's a whole mess of screw-ups here, because apparently this vendor wasn't supposed to sell the raffle tickets this early. And, of course, Lois Lane bought the winning ticket. Wow, if they keep selling, you know, <laughs> one ticket to his landlord, legitimate, and the other one to Lois, they keep doing that, they're going to have a legitimate racket going on. Yeah, look at that. Legitimate racket. I yeah. love that phrase. Yeah. We're going to be running a legitimate racket here. Well, that's the kind of thing you expect a guy like this to say. He doesn't look too bright. Right. <laughs> so, back at the house, uh, Bobby's not hungry. So Dexter throws some cash at he and the grandmother to go to the movies. Because that's what you do when you want to help people and you don't want anybody around for it. Mm-hmm. This is where Bobby confronts Dexter. And this is where Bobby shows that he's too dumb for his own good. Mm-hmm. And uh, because this whole thing is really shaking Bobby's confidence in Superman. Right. Not yeah, for, Right now, it still hadn't dawned on him that they're two different guys. Right. He thinks that Superman is a crook. By this, by day and a Superman by night. And Dexter kind of continues to lie that he's Superman and uh, basically justifying it because cause he helps people so much. Yeah, that, uh, boy. Yeah, that's, that, that doesn't really work there. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't think I bought that when I was a four-year-old, let alone a five-year-old watching this. I'm pretty sure I didn't, you know, believe it then and I don't believe it now. That's not logical. No. Helping people a lot does not give you the right to be a criminal. No, it does not. But, you know, a lot of people do think that. When they get to a certain level, I've seen that before. Right. Where people actually think, well, look at all the people I've helped. Just because I killed these two guys. Right. Oh, no big deal. I helped all these other people. No, sorry. That's not how it works. It's the way they rationalize it. Well, the way they rationalize something that can't be rationalized. Right. Bobby's confidence in Superman is now shot to hell because he thinks uh, Superman is a criminal. Right. Lois encounters Dexter outside the planet building, and uh, Dexter takes him back to his room. Which I thought was a dumb move. Why would you take her back there? Yeah, well, why would you? And well, well, I guess he thought, well, I sent the kid and the old lady to the movies. Right. So I'll have the dump to my plate to myself. I'll take Lois there and intimidate her there. Right. Okay. And, you know, well, what he didn't account for was Bobby sneaking out of the movie. 
But apparently the movie wasn't that good. And uh, and really all he wanted, uh, Dexter, really from Lois, was the raffle ticket. Yeah, that's it. That's all he wanted. I mean, he could have just bumped into her, taken her purse, or he could have done any... He didn't have to actually kidnap her, but again, well, plot. It's, it's, low. it's Lois. You kidnap Lois. That's her function. That's her function. And had to get everybody back to the to the bedroom. Right, for the big... Uh... For the big climax. Well, they built the set. Go ahead and use it. Right. So, Boots and Slippery come for Dexter, who, and Bobby still thinks Dexter is Superman here, and Mm -hmm. Dexter goes into the closet, and Bobby locks him in. Just going to leave that joke right there. And uh, (laughs) Dexter, (laughs) no, not Dexter, Bobby is so clueless about Dexter that he actually suggests they shoot through the door. Lois does a nice little, uh, Noel does a nice little acting thing here. Acting, yes. you know, Lois is really into this. You know, I you never really doubt Lois. Lois no. You know, Noel Neal is really into this. You know, she acted surprised. She acted like she did not know that kid was going to say his next line, which was <laughs> shoot him through the closet. Yeah. You think he's in there. So I think Noel did a really good job of selling this little bit. Yeah, she did. I don't think that works if she doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. And she sold that little bit right there. It was very cool. Of course, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you stupid kid. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in the next scene, when Superman jumps out finally. Right. And then says, all right, Dexter, come on out. For the first time, I actually froze it. And you can see the outline of Superman bro- where he broke through the wall in the back of the closet. You can? I'll have to go check that yes, out. Yes, it's very funny. I laughed out loud when I froze it because I thought, well, how will they show that? And then I look at it and you freeze it and it looks like a Bugs Bunny car. It's an outline of Superman's top torso, like there's his head and his right. shoulders and his arm where he broke through the closet in the back. It's very funny. I don't think they meant it to be funny, but or maybe they did. I don't, I don't know. Because you know, they generally don't, wouldn't need to because he was already, he was probably... Probably already in there. George Reed was probably already in there when Dexter went in there. Yes, but when Dexter said the line, he said, Superman broke through the back of the closet and saved me, got in front of the bullet. Right. And when you see Dexter come out, you see the outline where Superman busted through the thing. And I think only once or twice in other shows, episodes, where he's broken through something, where they don't show him breaking through, but they show the results of it. Where it's been an outline of him as opposed to just broken door, broken window, broken, you know, shattered stuff. So it's kind of like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. The Kirk Allen serial was, was pretty bad with that. They showed the little outline? There was one in the Adam Man serial where he saves Lois and Jimmy from, they're locked in this garage with the car running. Mm. Just about to run through the door. And just as he runs through the through the door... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see the outline, and uh, mm, good. and sure. the hole in the wall looks like Superman. Oh, okay, yeah. You see, that's what I thought was so funny about the the back of the closet. The hole looked like Superman. I'll have to go check <laughs> that out. They don't they don't do that very often in the series. In no, the they series. don't need to no. usually. No, because he they like George busting through stuff, and George liked busting through stuff. Yeah, but this was- time he's just opening a door and walking out, but behind him is where uh, he came in. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, you're right. Bobby is still believing that Dexter is Superman. Even when Superman jumps out, he's kind of saying, see, told you. And then Lois, what do you mean? Dexter, that, I, I can't believe that. Yeah, well, after all this time, play. yeah. And then, he, and then he calls out Dexter. Right. And has a, has a you know, right there, he's reformed, going straight. Of course, he's going to have to serve some time for right. what he's done. 
But and this is again one of the few episodes now that after all that everybody says what's happened, they're going to get the bad guys are going to go to jail. You know, can you handle these Superman says, can you handle these guys? Yeah, no problem. Till the cops get here, no problem. Lois and and uh, Bobby will take care of it. I think Bobby's holding the gun at that point. No, I thought Dexter was holding the gun. Well, oh, right. Dexter had the gun. So, so really, you're, you're, you're so sure that this guy is reformed. Yeah. That you're going to let him with... hold his his own accomplices. Yeah. And he's already, you know, but total reformation. And then uh, Superman says, you'll excuse me, please. And out the window. And for one of the few times the show ends with Superman flying away. Right. He's flying, and then it just fades, and he almost has a smile on his face. It's very, very good little end. It is. But the music makes the end weird. A little bit. I thought the music in this whole show was a little weird, actually. I have a note about that. Right. I wanted to go back and listen to the music, but didn't have time. But I thought, something kind of weird. They're doing some weird stuff. Right. The, uh, when, uh, when he was on the porch getting shot, there was some weird music. Right. Superman flying several times, there was some different, it sounded different. I'd have to check to see if there were any differences, really, but something was different, it felt like, and I right. thought that was interesting that you just mentioned it, too. So, Well, it's weird because, you know, as he's flying away, they play the usual flight music. Right. Which is usually kind of a symbolic of a rising action. It's something that's weird to fade out on. Right, but they faded, so. They did. But all in all, good show. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's almost like, again, did they need an extra few seconds? Maybe. Because it's very interesting and very unusual for for one of them to end this way. On him flying off. Yeah. When they could have done it a lot more, actually. But uh, I didn't have a problem with it. Nah. Looks good. And boy, the close-up on the boots. Woo! Yep, yep. So, had everything. Some good x-ray vision, some heat vision, some flying, gorgeous red boots, in fact, the cape looked good when he was walking in the house with Bobby. And the cape, see yeah. it from behind. It's looking really good. Yeah, the season four cape continues to look good. Ah, so good. So good. All right. I think we're pretty much done with this one. I think we pretty much talked this one to death. Yeah. We talked. So let's uh, take a quick break. We'll play a promo and then we'll come back with the big freeze. Hang mm-hmm. around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, 
Feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. We head right into The Big Freeze. <laughs> Original broadcast date is March 3rd, 1956. Writer was David Chandler. Director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast included Eddie Baker as the guard, John Phillips as the voter, because they clearly, clearly needed to be top-billed, Richard Reeves as Little Jack, which, must I say, it's amusing as hell for Richard Reeves to be described as little anything. Yeah, exactly. He's a big, big man. Rolf Sedan as Dr. Watts, and George E. Stone as Duke Taylor. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. That is correct. And this episode is not to be considered a source for actual science. Mike, I never lie. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Watts is going to do some funky stuff with temperatures, though. Yes. 2,000 degrees below zero. That's cold. Impossibly cold. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll get to that. It's election time in Metropolis. Mayor George Wilson is running against Duke Taylor's crooked candidate, Buckley. What are you doing, little Jack? How many times have I told you there ain't no flies this time of the year? Just keeping in practice for the summer, Duke. Summer. By the summer, I'm going to have this town in the palm of my hands. Yeah, provided Buckley wins as mayor tomorrow. He's going to win. Come here, look at this. You see this? I've got every one of these voting places marked off. I'm going to have one of my boys stationed at each one of these joints. And besides that, I hired a couple of thousand Skid Row characters, and they're going to vote just the way I tell them. Yeah, but some of the people in this town like Wilson. You know, the square-headed mayor they got now? So what? Them is all good citizens. And besides that, most of these people, they don't even bother about voting. Yeah. But there was a fly on your shoulder, Duke. That fly that you just hit happens to be a spot of dirt, and one of these days, I'm going to lose my temper. Uh, Duke, listen. I, I just thought of something you ought to consider. Like what, for instance? Superman. He don't like messing around with a city election. For what you just thought of, I thought of a long time ago, and I'm expecting the answer any minute. Let him in. Dr. Watts, sit down. Little Jack, this is the answer I've been expecting. This is Dr. Watts. I'm happy to know you. Happy. Me too, Doc. But who's sick? He's not that kind of a doctor, stupid. Well, Doctor, this is the day you're supposed to have it. What about it? It's all figured out. Everything is ready to destroy Superman's powers. To destroy them. Uh, see, the doctor's a genius. That's the way they got to talk. It's some kind of rule they got. But Dr. Watts here has been studying information on Superman for the last six months just to find out what makes him tick. Right, Doc? Right. I've perfected the one way. The one way to hurt him. The one way. I think he's buggy. Buggy. You got bugs in your brain. 
Well, let's have it, Doc. You'll have to come to the laboratory. To the laboratory to see it. You'll have to. Okay, let's go. I'll get my coat. My coat, I'll get. I'll get my coat. Shall Buckley win office? The city, the city will be wide open for various gambling and organized crime rackets. Now that's the situation. We all know that Duke Taylor is going to railroad Buckley into office and his own city council. If he succeeds, it will throw this town wide open for gambling and rackets of all sorts. I'm sorry, Chief. I just can't bring myself to vote for Mayor Wilson. Why not? I'm not old enough. Olson, what did I ever do to deserve you? I'm sorry, Chief. Sometimes my tongue just runs away with me. Not far enough. Now, Lois, I'm expecting you and Kent to do something about tomorrow's election. Well, Chief, the way I see it, the only way is to fill the paper with editorials, to urge the people to get out and vote. Well, frankly, I don't know what everyone's so worried about. Superman isn't going to let anything happen. Sometimes, Lois, it's not wise for people to depend on Superman to keep their own house in order. Dr. Watts brings Duke and Little Jack to his laboratory. You are impressed? No? Impressed? This joint looks like the inside of a television set. Okay, okay, what does it do? The secret is in the little room behind the iron door. In the little room. You mean there's something in there that's gonna knock off Superman? Perhaps. Perhaps for only a week or so is his powers. Okay already, what does it do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely. Now wait a minute. How is a nothing gonna hurt Superman? Oh, this is the coldest nothing in the world. That's the answer. Cold. You mean you're gonna give him a cold? Oh, better yet, I'm going to freeze him. Hey, wait a minute, Doc. You know, I think you got something. Certainly I got something. I got... Inside by electronics, I've developed a temperature of 2,000 degrees below zero. 2,000 degrees. I get cold at 20 above. And to contain the temperature, the walls have been specially built, specially lined with lead. Look, Doc, the temperature is your department. All I want to know is, will that lead keep Superman from looking inside with those X-ray eyeballs of his? The cold is already established. Now you see a rubber ball. It bounces. Rubber ball. Watch the ball. You busted it. Hey, I remember when I was a kid and went to school in chemistry, we took something like this. Only we did it with liquid air. Everything turned brittle and it broke. Exactly. But compared to this, liquid air is warm. Compared to this. Doctor, are you sure that this will work on Superman? Oh, positive. Until he defreezes, his powers will be numb until he defreezes. Maybe he'll never defreeze. Well, he'll be out of commission for a couple of days anyway, huh? Oh, at least a week. At least. As long as he's out of commission tomorrow, that's all I care about. I got one question. What is it? How are you gonna get Superman inside the icebox? That's for me to figure out, and I already did. Reporters Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent receive messages to meet Duke Taylor. Lois and Jimmy are to be at the corner of Elm and Central Street at 12.15 p.m., and Clark is to go to Dr. Watts' lab at noon sharp. 
Say, this looks just like the inside of a television set. That's exactly what I said. Oh. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Now, would you mind telling me what this is all about and why you insisted that I meet you here? Oh, sure, sure. You see, your friends are in there. Miss Lane and that kid, right behind that steel door. You can't look through it, Kent. Even Superman couldn't look through it. It's lined with lead. I don't believe they're in there. You can't open it, Kent. It's sealed shut. So it is. But there is a gimmick. Superman can open it. Why should he bother? Because I told you, your friends are in there. And you see, with the flick of a certain switch, you'll never see them again. Nobody will ever see them again. You haven't even proved they're in there yet. I don't have to prove it. Why don't you try getting in touch with them, like calling their office, for instance? All right. All right, just for the sake of argument, we'll concede they're in there. Now, what do you expect me to do about it? You see, you're a pretty good friend of Superman. Why don't you contact Superman and see if he can rescue them? Kind of a fool you take me for. Obviously, this is some kind of a trap to get Superman inside that chamber. Now you're really using your head, Mr. Kent. I suppose it is a trap. I suppose you figure on going to the police first. What's to stop me? Nothing. Except if a cop pokes his nose through that door, I turn on the switch. I see. Mm -hmm. Now, let's face it, Mr. Kent. At 2 o'clock sharp, I'm turning on that switch, and sooner if a copper walks through. And if Superman walks through, he walks right into some fantastic kind of trap. Yeah, it does look that way, doesn't it? Well, I'll be seeing you, Mr. Kent, right after the election tomorrow. Don't forget, tell Superman the deadline is 2 o'clock. Oh, I'll tell him. 2 o'clock. Yes. Superman bursts into the bloodline room, only to be sprayed with Dr. Watts' chemicals. What's the matter, Superman? You look cold. Where are they? What have you done with them? You mean your little friends? Yes. Oh, they're safe and sound. Superman! <laughs> are you all right, Miss Lane? Gee, boys, he looks like a snowman. Yeah, don't he, though? <laughs> Come on, we got work to do. <laughs> they forced us into a car and brought us here. But you, Superman. Jeepers, does it hurt? No, but my strength is completely gone. So tomorrow, Duke Taylor and his thugs take over the city. And there aren't enough policemen to stop him. I'm afraid you're right. It's up to the people now. They've really got to get out and vote. But isn't there something we can do for you? I'm afraid not, Miss Lang. We'll go back to the office and see Clark. Maybe he can think of something. No, Miss Lane. Clark told me you had an appointment with the mayor. And that's much more important than I am at the moment. Well, that's the way you want it. Jimmy, you better stay here and help Superman. No, no, you both better go. I'll manage somehow. Jeepers, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Having used makeup to color himself, Superman is now in the guise of Clark Kent. Miss Lane, how nice to see you. Chief, I can explain. Oh, that isn't all necessary. It's enough just having you back with us. You know, we've kept your old office for you exactly as it was when you left. Please, Chief, come on in. There's something awful I have to tell you. I won't be surprised. Nothing good could possibly happen today. Clark! Oh, now, don't tell me my reporters are beginning to show up. Where have you been, Miami? You seem to have a tan. Well, I, uh, I came in to find you, Lois. Clark, it finally happened. Superman walked into a trap. Somehow they froze him. He's white all over and weak as a kitten. What? Clark, you were all excited about something a while ago. Did you know about this? Well, Chief, I, I did know something happened to Superman, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. It couldn't be worse. Is it permanent? Well, there's no way to tell, but I'm afraid he won't be of much use to you tomorrow, Chief. I'm going to call the mayor. I just left him. He doesn't have much hope. Get me the mayor immediately. 
There's nothing he can do, is there? Hello, George. Perry White. Say, listen now, uh, is there any legal way to postpone this election tomorrow? If we could only put it off for a week or two. Obviously, the answer's no. I see. Well, maybe that could do it. It looked as if we're licked, but not yet. I'll keep in touch with you. Goodbye. Lois, did you have to tell the mayor about Superman in front of his secretary? I thought he should know about it. Well, I suppose it's not your fault, but... Well, that information is spreading over Metropolis like wildfire. Somehow it leaked out. Well, Chief, it's not the kind of news you can keep under your hat. Well, it all adds up to this. With Superman out of commission, people who are going to vote will be afraid to. Those thugs of Duke Taylor's are enough to intimidate anybody. Well, I suggest we all get back to our typewriters and do the best we can. Yes, and tomorrow we'll find out whether that was good enough. Duke, Little Jack, and Dr. Watts are celebrating their victory over Superman. Uh, excuse me uh, for bringing it up. Excuse me. Uh, but the money, when do I get it? The money? Oh, oh, the money. Yeah, the money. That's <laughs> right, Doc. Well, I'll tell you, Doc. Just how much money did I promise you, Doctor? Fifty thousand dollars. Fifty? Hmm. That's a lot of cabbage. I'm very fond of cabbage. Very fond. Me too. Especially with corned beef. Doc, uh... Why don't you drop around in a couple of months? Wait till I get rolling a little bit, huh? In a couple of months? Why should I wait in a couple of months? That's right, Doc. Why should you wait? You know, uh, to tell you the truth, I'm not going to pay any. If you don't pay me, I go to the police. If you don't pay... <laughs> go ahead to the police. What do I care? You're the guy that built the icebox, not me. Can I help it if Superman just happened to stumble into it? But you set the trap for him. Set the trap. Doc, you can't prove that. Nobody can. Besides, I want you to do me a favor. Just get lost, will you? I'll get lost with my money. With my money, I'll get lost. Look, Doc, I would have to be out of my head to pay you 50,000 bucks. Besides that, I've got what I want. I'll get even with you. Somehow, I'll get even. Little Jack, throw this character out, will you please? He's getting in my hair. Come on, Doc. You don't want to upset the boss. I trusted you like my own mother. I trusted you. So long, Doc. So far, Buckley is ahead of Mayor Wilson. First tally from the 8th and 9th wards. It's about 4 to 1 for Buckley. For Duke Taylor, you mean? I passed by several polling stations this morning. There's a tough-looking thug lounging in the doorway of every one of them. They should be arrested. Some of them have been, Lois. But Taylor's thought of that, too. He has a bondsman at the city hall. He bails them out in five minutes. But people can vote the way they want to once they get inside the booth, can't they? Theoretically, yes. But there have been some very nasty threats if Buckley loses. Well, they wouldn't talk so big if Superman were alive. I mean, like he used to be. You're right the first time, Lois. He is practically dead. Well, we still have five hours voting time left. If Superman would only recover. I'll get it. Can I help you? I am Dr. Watts. I am. Yes, well, we're very busy right now. Could you come back tomorrow? Oh, no, no. Tomorrow, it'd be too late. Tomorrow, the election will be over. Oh, won't you step in? This is Perry White, our editor. 
Miss Lane, Mr. Olson, and I'm Clark Kent. This is Dr. Watts. Won't you sit down, sir? Ah, you are Mr. Kent, you? Yes, that's right. Now, what did you say about the election? Uh, well, personally, the election, I, I don't care who wins, uh, personally. Well, we do. Oh, exactly, exactly. That's why I must talk to Superman, uh, exactly. Why do you want to talk to him? Well, it was my invention that hurt him. What? You? That was your laboratory? You've got a lot of nerve coming here. All right, Doctor, let's have it. What are you up to now? I, I must talk to Superman. I, I, I must. You talk to me. I'll see Superman gets the message. All right, Doctor, let's have it. What's on your mind? It's a way for Superman to get better. A way. Well, you see, I, I'm not positive it'll work, you see. And if it doesn't? Well, it probably would kill him. Kill him? At this point, I'm sure Superman's willing to try anything. All right, Doctor, what's your answer? Well, I, I believe a sudden intense heat might help. That makes sense. It might thaw him out. And besides, fire doesn't harm Superman. But, Chief, he isn't Superman anymore. What, he's just like you and me or Clark. That's right. It's probably too risky. But if it works, Metropolis will be saved from those mobsters. Well, I say forget it. Me too. I agree. Well, I'm afraid this is one decision that Superman will have to make for himself. Do you excuse me? Uh, tell him it must be very hot, uh, like a blast furnace. Uh, tell him. Like a blast furnace. I'll tell him. As Buckley edges closer to being the mayor of Metropolis, Clark has gone to the local ironworks. Even though it's closed for election day, the blast furnaces are still turned on. Superman goes inside to expose himself to the intense heat. He feels the powers and abilities return to him. Duke and Little Jack are at a voting center to making sure Buckley wins. What are you doing here, boss? Just making a personal tour of inspection, just like a good general. I ran into this character outside. He, uh, he tells me he's going to vote. That's nice. But before you vote, take a read about our boy. And don't forget... This district's got to go for Buckley. I'd rather not vote at all and vote for this crook. Superman! He's unfroze. Yes, and things are going to be a little warm for you two from now on. I believe you're about to vote, sir. Will you please go ahead? I can assure you these thugs will not interfere. Why, you... Wait a minute, Superman. This one's on me. Good to see you back in circulation again, Superman. It's nice to be back. I just hope I'm not too late. You're not too late. There must be a couple of hundred people on their way up here. And I'm going to cast my vote right now. Good. Who are you voting for? That's still up to me, isn't it, Superman? That's right, and I hope it always will be that way. George Wilson is once again the mayor of Metropolis. People are starting to vote like crazy. And 90% of them are for Wilson. Well, something must have happened. It did. Superman's back. And he's been to every ward in the city, urging the people to get out and vote. Th then he's all right? Never felt better in his life. Jeepers, where is he? Oh, well, uh, Jimmy, after all, he's done about all he could. It's up to the people now. That's good enough for me. City desk. Harry, kill that headline. Make it read, Wilson wins. Well, Kent, don't just stand there. You've been loafing all day. You start working on that front page right now. Yes, sir, Chief. And believe me, it'll be a pleasure. Before we move on, isn't George Wilson also the name of Dennis the Menace's neighbor, Mr. Wilson? Yes, it is. Okay. George Wilson. Yes. 
Mr. Wilson, yes. I don't know why I thought that was important to point out, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all comes back to Superman. It does. So, what do you think of this one? Well, until this year, until a few months ago, it was one of my favorite episodes of all time. It still is. It's, this still is probably in my top ten. But I think more for the white costume than really the story. It's right. a pretty pretty simple story. But there's a lot of really good stuff happening in this episode. There is. And there is just so much, so much good, 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 good happening. Topped with the fact that he's wearing a white costume. Yes, he is. It's so cool. Now, people today might say... What happened to that costume? Did they make a new costume strictly for that? Did they just dye one of the other costumes? Was it painted? Did that come off? What happened to that costume? There are uh, two stories about that costume. Where is that costume? One of them needs to be verified because I've only seen it in print that they say they have it. Right. But no one has actually seen a picture of it in decades. DC Comics says they have that costume the white suit the white suit but no one has seen it in like i said decades prove it dc you got the white suit let's see it right let's let's see it two other sources have one has said that the costume did not survive right another one source said that the reason it didn't survive is that it was a temporary color outfit they just colored it's a normal suit that had some sort of paint uh, over it that once they washed it after the episode and had it cleaned, the white came right back out and it was another suit that he used. It was one of the regular suits. I don't know which one of those to believe. Do you really believe a suit could have recovered from that? No, I don't. I really don't. But again, the cape is raw silk. The jersey and the S emblems are a wool material. And the boot, as we know, is is uh, a red suede. Could they have dyed it somehow, painted it, colored it somehow white with a temporary coloring agent that was then removed and the uniform could be used again? I don't know. Or could it have been an older uniform? That's To me, that makes sense. We're in the fourth season now, the second ep- season that was filmed in color. Right. This is not the only costume. I'm thinking, and I would like to get more information, maybe Jim Nolte or one of the right. guys knows out there on the Adventures Continues website, that to me, I think what they did was take a suit from a previous season and color it. It's not one of the black and white No, suits. it's definitely it's definitely a color suit because the S is different. The S is different. It's a color S. It's a color S. Because the color S is a little more angular. Yes, it is. It's and a little the, more uh, angular and sharper. And the uh, I think the black and white S was a little bit bigger, too. A little bigger, and the the color one they're roughly the same size. But the way that the the larger top of the diamond on the right. on the color episodes gives it a little different appearance. It does look smaller though, but it does look a little smaller. But it, it, kind of what makes me think it might be a season three color episode suit that they dyed white somehow. That's what I'm uh, thinking because it had to have been a suit they weren't planning to use again. That's what I'm thinking. Because I don't think this could have been done and then recovered. So I'm thinking it was a previous season's suit. And, and they went uh, through the, yeah, and they went, see, I don't know, what did they do with the suits at the end of the season? Uh, good question. There were rumors for a long time. I mean, as long as I, you know, until a few years ago, I heard the rumor that at the end of every season, 
George Reeves would cut the S off of the jersey and the cape and give them away to kids in hospitals. Right. That has been now debunked. They're all, the costumes they're all, were so expensive. There were also stories that he got one at the end of every season to burn it. Right. And that, again, is also not true. Right. That the costumes were expensive. They were they were very expensive for the time period. So look at the money. I mean, it was like 1500 per costume. for the And the S's, all the way through the season, all of them, the S's were hand-embroidered, whether they were the black and white or the color S's. The stitching on the costume, the cape, all hand-done. So it was very labor-intensive on all of these costumes. And particularly when you got into the color episodes, they were just very expensive. Right. And I, I don't think they would have said, season's over, okay, George, here, do what you want with them. No, and I don't, we don't know how long they lasted. Mm-mm. No. But you have to think at this point, we're into season four now. Right. There had to be one, that maybe the one that used the time barrier, there had to be one that might have been wearing out. Right. That they figured, all right, because I don't think they wrote this far enough in advance to say, hey, let's save an episode, uh, let's save a suit from last season because we're going to uh, yeah, make it white. Yeah, I don't think white. so either. They, they, I they think pro- it's an older suit that they dyed or bleached or something to get white. Right. It had um, to be one they weren't going to use again. Exactly. Because, you no, know, I don't think it recovered from this. So, if it still exists, DC, I've heard you've got it. If you've got it, let's see it. Let's right. see it. There's been no photographs of this suit ever, anywhere, that I know of. Anywhere other than on the screen itself for this episode. And you would think if that suit still exists somewhere, it would either be on display, photographed, something. Because those costumes now are numbered. They know where they are. The Metropolis, Illinois, has both a black and white suit from the uh, first season, black and white, and they have a color one from season five, I think. I think it's a season five color suit that they have. Yes, but you would have to think this would be the most valuable out of all of them. All of them. This would be it. This would be the holy grail of Superman costumes of the series is the white costume. So perhaps for that reason, you may not want to confirm that you have it. Maybe. Maybe until you want to sell it or something. But if DC actually owns it, they're never going to sell it. Right. So why not display it? Why not have it? Uh, periodically they pull out their copies of action number one and rare other things they've got they saved the painting that was in the hallway of the dc headquarters at lexington uh in new york right when they moved to la they took that off the wall they actually removed several murals that had been painted by some of the artists of the time and they've saved those if they've got this costume let's see it right i want to see it and imagine how many people this would just blow away to see that suit again? And there's not that many of us left for crying out loud. No. Bring out the white suit. Okay. If they, the if they have it. If they have it. Makes me think they don't have it. I don't think the suit exists anymore. I, I think it would have shown up before now. Right. If it still existed. I just don't think it exists. I mean, even the suits that are still out there at this point are a little discolored. Sure they are. Sure they are. I have an opportunity. I wish I could go in March. They're getting together a bunch of people for a banquet to celebrate the show. Right. And the two costumes will be there. They'll be there. And you will be able to touch them. So, yeah, I'd love to go. That'd be <clears throat> worth the price of admission right there. I'm going to steal the boots, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. I want his cape and I want his boots. Well, that cape would make such an excellent souvenir. Yes, it would. 
Watch your elbows. Get them out of that cake. All right. Back to the episode. Yeah. Which aired nowhere near Election Day. So let's just throw that out there. Right. There was no... I didn't know that. I didn't look... It was 55. There was no election in... Well, there was a regular off-season election. Right. There was still an election that year, whether it was... Yeah, but it wasn't presidential. This episode... was Metropolis could have had a mayor. Yeah. But not in March. Right. That's true. So... We start with uh, Richard Reeves uh, with a fly swatter. Because all, all humorous episodes start with Richard Reeves with a fly swatter, knocking well, down a picture off the wall and breaking some glass. Well, why not? I like Richard Reeves. Yeah, and he's hanging out with Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a four-foot-tall Hugh Hefner. Right, well. <laughs> in a little red and blue silk <laughs> right. smoking jacket. Yes. So, Duke is Duke Taylor in his smoking jacket. He is uh, planning some voter fraud. Apparently, no, he's got... not voter fraud. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Rigged election. He's got some uh, crooked uh, poll watchers bullying citizens into voting for their candidate. And they've hired some people to vote for Buckley. So, <sighs> No comment until the time limit is up. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It is weird because this, this last few months have really added many more layers to this episode than I wish it had. Right. You know, I kind of liked it. Because, you know, when I think of this episode, I think of the white costume. Right. And uh, Dr. Watts' funny way of speaking. And his funny way of speaking. And the scene where George is using Lois's makeup to hide his white hair face and stuff. I don't think of the, oh, yeah, the main plot is voter fraud. Right. That's the main story. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Until now. Until now. So, thank you, 2016. Thank you, 2016. Yeah. Mm. And Taylor is also talking about people who don't even bother getting out and voting. Thank you, 2016. Yeah, so yeah, now he's also counting on low voter, voter turnout, which is also blamed by certain people for why the election went the way it did. Yeah, where's Superman when you need him? Yeah, I'm watching this episode, I'm having flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't want to go through it again, no. This show on its face is not as smart as it is right now. Oh, not at all. Not at all. But it's, it's turned out to be really smart here. Mm-hmm. Because all the ways that Duke is trying to manipulate this election are fear, thing, intimidation, fear, lies, and uh, driving muscle. down voter turnout. Yeah, exactly. Are exactly. things that got talked about this year. Right. Even, even the guy at the end who says to Duke and Little Jack, he'd rather not vote at all than vote for Buckley. Yeah, exactly. Which Exactly. Which is a vote for Buckley. Right. <laughs> so. so. Yeah. But, you know, so it just goes to show that even though this past election was, insert your own adjective, right? whatever here, it's not new in no. politics. But it is something that even shows like Superman, who were mainly talking to kids, were trying to say that even though some of these things are, are trying to happen, voting is important. And that's something the Daily Planet staff is uh, driving in. You hear, you hear, Clark, both Clark and Superman say it. It's up to the people. They have to really get out and vote. In fact, there's the scene when Clark looks right into the camera right. after Lois says, "Well, Superman will be here," and he looks right into the camera and says, "Sometimes people have to take care of their own house." <clears throat> And have to get their own house. They can't depend on Superman to get their own house in order. I love I love that because... It was a great line. Because you see it through the whole episode. Lois is depending on Superman. Yes. And 
Well, many of them are. Perry is. Right. And many people. And in fact, it looked like the election was going badly until he gets his powers back and shows up all over town at all of the precincts right. and the voting booths to let people know it's okay, it's safe to go in and vote your conscience or vote the way you want because Superman's back on the job. Right. Does that mean that Superman not gotten back on the job, the bad guys would have won? Yes. Yes, it does. Yes. You know, it, it, all, it also brings back uh, the question the comics like to ask now are whether, whether characters like Superman existing in the world that they exist in, is that good for those worlds? Exactly. Because they're putting too much dependence on him. Well, it's a it's a the kind of thing that used to be asked. I think the difference in modern comics and things from this time period, the fifties and sixties, they asked those questions. They they mentioned, they talked about those things, they brought those questions up, but they did it in kind of a subliminal organic way. Yeah, they 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 didn't do a twelve issue story about it. Exactly. They didn't hit you over the head with it and preach to you about it. And to some degree, this particular episode is a little preachy, but it's serious. It's not right. hitting you over the head with it. It's not trying to make it preachy. It's kind of like in the ep- the last episode, when, in The Unlucky Number, when when Bobby said, Superman, can you teach me how to do that? Wow, that's really cool. And he gets very serious, and Superman says, listen to me now. There are things that only Superman can do, do. and that especially goes for flying. Right. That. How did we not talk? How did we not talk about that? Uh, I forgot. I did too. <laughs> it was one of my notes. But it I was. Forgot. But yeah, you could tell that scene. He's talking right to the kids. Right to the kids. And this is a political episode. It is. And he whose name will not be mentioned was thought of during this episode. And, so was uh, she whose name will not be mentioned. It's he whose name will not be. Well, I'm not mentioning either of them. Okay. but Because uh, it, she blamed low, low voter turnout. Well, many reasons. Right. Many reasons. Just to say it was a failure of epic proportions. Oh, absolutely. That. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we, now we're going to meet Dr. Watts. Dr. Watts we're going to meet. Yes. So, he has a very interesting way of speaking. I tried to do it a little bit during the synopsis, but... It's it's hard. It's actually hard to do that. It is because he's not really doing the way most of us think he's doing. A lot of us will just repeat the same thing a different way. We'll say it's snowing. The snow is falling. Right. It's not not really what he's doing. He's kind of accentuating other parts of the word again. Right. He's just, he's not really rephrasing it twice. He's not saying the same thing twice and rephrasing it, but it's like he's just it will bounce the rubber ball. Right. And actually, because in the same scene, you see both Little Jack and Duke try to emulate the way he's speaking. And they they don't do it. They can't do it. Right? I, thought Jack, it I, I thought Little Jack did it better. Little Jack did do it better. I think he's buggy. Buggy. But Duke just failed miserably with the, right. I'll get my coat, my coat, I'll get. That just didn't work. And he, yeah. and he knew it. Right. So I don't know what's scripted or not, but... The character was self-aware to know he wasn't doing it. Yeah, I think that was all scripted. I think that all all of that little bit was scripted. Right. All of it. And uh, so I like the little character. He would have been a great little little uh, crazy professor. He could have come back a couple times, but yeah, the but only he, time, he he had some viciousness. It. He had some what? Some viciousness. Yes, he did. Yes, he <clears> did. <throat> Even in the end, I don't care who wins. Really, right? Don't care. Yeah, and he. Uh, is very aware of how much of a genius he is. And so there's that. Well, there's all that. So he's going to uh, take out Superman. Mm-hmm. And 
So apparently the Daily Planet staff knows that Duke Taylor is behind Buckley. Who Buckley, who we never actually see. We don't see either one of the candidates. We never see either one of the candidates. Or pictures or even posters. Nothing. Nope, nothing. We see nothing. Wasn't really necessary, was it? No. Apparently we learned that Jimmy is younger than 21, which was the voting age of that time. Yep. But and he uses it as an excuse to get under Perry's skin mm-hmm. when he said that he can't make himself vote for Mayor Wilson. And right. Perry did not appreciate the joke. Not a bit. Clark wants to write more editorials. And Lois is going to you know, put her feet up on the table and wait for Superman to take care of everything. <laughs> Which is where we get our line about, you know, sometimes you can't depend on Superman to keep your own house in order. Right. And I just love that line. And this is before he's even lost his powers. Yeah. Well, you know, Superman can't go into the voting booth and vote for you. No, he can't. No, he can't. No one can do that. You know. And I wonder how many people in this little metropolis just think, well, Buckner's not going to win, but I really don't like Winston Wilson. So I think just for the fun of it, I'll just go ahead and vote for Buckner. He can't really win. He doesn't have a chance. And, you know, that logic kind of, you know, by not being Superman not being able to vote for him, kind of reminds me of something, uh, well, High school sports coach would tell me, told me once, on a day when he found out that four of his players were academically ineligible. Mm. He's like, you know what? I could tell them to do their homework and all that stuff, but I can't follow them home and make sure they do it. That's it. So, there's a lot of this episode where they just kind of have to uh, depend on the people to do the right thing. Oh, that's so scary. It didn't work in 2000 when they elected Lex Luthor president. No. He wasn't a good president? Didn't end well. Oh. <laughs> Gee, who would have thought that electing Lex Luthor would not be a good idea? Gee. So, although I'm not, I'm not sure uh, George W. Bush gets us through the uh, Imperiax invasion. Uh, probably not. From the Our Worlds at War storyline. But we're not talking about comics right now. No, we're not. We're going into Dr. Watts' lab, which is very high-tech, which basically in 1955 means lots of transistor tubes. And uh, Little Jack calls it the inside of a TV set. So... Here's where we find out what the big invention is that's going to get rid of Superman. It's nothing. And nothing is going to hurt Superman. Uh, Probably not. But it's a very cold nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is. He's going to free Superman's powers by exposing him to 2,000 degrees below zero. Do you know what the problem with 2,000 degrees below zero is? Yes, why don't you tell us what the problem with 2,000 degrees below zero is? There's no such thing. It's impossible. Impossible? Impossible. What about 1,099, degrees? You can't even get to 460 below, at least not Fahrenheit. Absolute zero is about 460 degrees below zero. And you can't go any lower than that? That is the temperature at which all molecular movement stops. Even Superman's molecular movement? Even his. Maybe they didn't know that in 1955. Yes, they did. I know. They knew it in 1977, too, when they did that stupid... Anyway, no. Bad special effects in Superman the movie. And bad science right here, but this show is known for bad science. Yes, it is. Well, comic book science. Comic book science, yeah. Only in comic book science can you create a room that is colder than absolute zero. Right. So, what Dr. Watts has achieved is not possible in any known universe. Well, makes him a real genius then, didn't he? It does, and he is a genius. A genius he is. Might be that cold in the middle of Pluto. Well, <laughs> on your next trip, let me know. <laughs> so, here's where we get the trick about the, about the rubber ball. 
don't forget your mittens. Did he actually touch that rubber ball with his hand when he brought it out? Yes, he did. He had the, he pushed it off the little... Uh, he didn't use a tool. He used the tool to put it in through that little hatch. Yes. But then when he takes the, the tongs, whatever you want to call it, out, he gives the ball a slight little nudge with it, with his uh, index finger, it looks like. Or his thumb and his index finger. Yes. He should have used a tool. As soon as he touched that thing, his fingers would have been frozen stiff and gone. They should have froze right to the ball. Yeah, stuck right there. Gone. Dead. Bye-bye. And uh, and that's, I, I believe that's a metal rod that he's holding in his hand. Mm-hmm. Metal Probably. conducts temperature. Yes, it does. If it's yeah, really it as cold as he says it is, that should have froze him, too. Yeah, that was a nice effect and all, a nice little thing, but it, but none of it scientifically works. No, but it, but it does give uh, give us a chance for uh, Duke to think of something he did in a chemistry class in high school. Apparently, he didn't drop out of school like most of the criminals have. Well, at least he made it to tenth grade chemistry. Yes, he did. So, or ninth grade. When did he have chemistry? I forget chemistry. I had it at eleventh. Yeah, that sounds about right. Tenth or eleventh, somewhere in there. So he made it that far. Mm. Well, he is the boss. He is, and he's got the jacket to prove it. So Watts has no idea if this is going, how long this is going to affect Superman. He'll he will either defrost after a week or never, which is quite a bit of a margin for error. Quite a bit. Yeah, but it's unknown. He froze him, got rid of his powers. How long it takes him to thaw out if he ever does? Right. Who knows? Right. So Duke has a plan, and right after we learn about Duke's plan, is we get Clark at his desk. He's reading over his editorial about how it's all. Up to the voter. Does this seem like he has a lot of confidence in whether this thing works? Who? Clark. I don't think Clark has any confidence confidence in this editorial. Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. Not in the editorials. Because in the beginning of the episode, he even almost pounds his fist on the desk, Perry's desk, saying, we'll just get the newspaper. We'll encourage people. We'll just go editorials all day. What does that mean? How are you going to do that? You're going to put out a morning issue and an afternoon issue. Or are you just putting one out every hour or two with new editorials? How often does the Daily Planet come out? As often as it needs to. As often as it needs to. I think it's just as often as it needs to. It comes out all the damn... It's like a radio station. just on. And, I, and if you're going to flood the, the paper with editorials, people are going to get annoyed after a while. Yeah. Plus, who's going to read? It's election day. Right. You're going to pick up the, oh, gee, here's the newspaper, and, oh, they think I should go vote. Wow. Yeah, it's a little late for this. A little late. A little bit. So, but that's so a- yeah, I don't think Clark, at this point, now he's lost his powers. No, not yet. He hasn't got Oh, that's yet. right. He doesn't, yes. This is when he gets right. the note under the door. He looks right. around for anybody, but Duke Taylor wants a note for Clark. I guess he forgot he had x-ray vision. He did. And Lois gets a note, too. She doesn't have x-ray vision. No, she does not have... And she, they don't look outside to see who's at the door either, but... Right. right. They get excited about the note because it's a personal meeting with Duke Taylor. Mm. And uh, Jimmy suggests that it could be a trap, and Lois, in pure Lois Lane fashion, ignores it. And obviously Clark arrives first. He goes to Dr. Watts' place, and he describes the uh, lab the same way that Little Jack did. And he seems awfully upset when he finds out that he described it the same way Little Jack did. <laughs> right. I'm sorry like I didn't the know. inside of a TV set. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't know. So here comes. That was a, funny. I like that. That was yeah. funny. I really like this scene because yeah, me too. Taylor tells Clark that Lois and Jimmy are in there. Obviously, if the Clark goes to the door or tries to look through it and can't open it, which amuses Taylor, can't see through it. Can't. Nope. And that <laughs> that comment didn't even phase him. Mm-hmm. So 
Duke Taylor is a little smarter than our average criminal. Yeah, it's a good plan. It is. And obviously he hasn't proven that they're in there. And You see, when I was a kid, many, many years ago, I, it never occurred to me as a kid when I was watching this. I always thought, well, Lois got a letter too. She's right. going to show up there. No, they sent her somewhere else. They did. I, I looked back and check and listened to it. I made sure they sent them her somewhere else. Yeah, they sent them to two different places. They sent and they else. sent her later, I believe. They did what? They sent her. They yes. sent Clark there at noon and Lois to where she went at 12.15. At 12.15, which, what's his say? Little Jack was probably waiting there for her. Right. In fact, both of them, Duke and Little, and little Jack, I guess, were waiting for him. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because they, they showed up together. Yeah, there was a quick cut here, that's, which was a little weird, a little awkward, because Duke and Little Jack were actually in the lab talking about how they're going to get Superman to go in there, and everything was turned off, and then it cuts, and now they're back in the lab right now again, and it's everything's on, and Superman is landing and going in, getting ready to walk in. Well, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about the conversation between Duke and Clark. Yeah. Now... He has to prove that they're in there, and he doesn't have to because, you know what, Superman will look into it regardless. Right. And when Clark mentions that it's a trap, I like how Duke doesn't even try to deny it. No, of course not. He's got it. It could be. Yeah, sure. Sure, it could it, be. He, and he points out the options, so you got choices. Yeah. Mo a lot of them probably would. They know it's not a trap, but he's just, he's going, he's keeping up with Clark. Yes. He's not saying it is or it isn't. Like you said, he's just laying out the options. Right. But he does say, and if a cop comes, I'm going to throw the switch. Right. So whether you think they're in there or not, you have to assume they're in there. Right. Unless you exactly know where they are right now, Kent. Right. And do you? And he does not. No, he doesn't. Here's the problem with the people that people write with Superman. And this is really a writer problem. And they solved this problem in early season two with the uh, the big squeeze. Yes, he cannot see through lead, but he can hear through it. Right. Nothing to hear in there. Right. Unless this room is soundproof, too. Mm-hmm. If they were in there, he should at least hear a heartbeat. Yeah. In fact, uh, which I think is very interesting because it has the same actor in if, the... If they in were the... in there, Lois and Jimmy would be talking to each other. Yes. He, that would be something he should hear. Yeah. And even if they weren't, even if they had them gagged and tied up in there, he could listen to see if there were heartbeats coming from there. Right. And which, in the pilot <coughs> episode of Superboy which also had Richard Reeves as one of the uh, bad guys, they bring him in for questioning, and Superboy listens to his heart. So even though Reeves doesn't answer any of the questions, his heart changes speed according to the answers. Right. And Superboy then says he can leave because I know the truth now. So coming up on Superboy Forever. Shh. And it's also going to come up on the Man of Screen podcast. You're going to cover that. That's right. That is, I guess that is part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to do the unproduced stuff between uh, this show and uh, the filmations. Okay, interesting. Okay, good. So, Duke is confident that Superman will show up because he likes the girl. He likes the girl. And we go to our right, cut right to Superman flying down, and he walks right into the trap. Whoosh! <clears throat> and I do wish they had done a better cut. I wish they had done a better cut between him walking in and then the, the stuff hitting him and him walking back out. These cuts are always rough. Yeah, they were really rough. Really, really rough. <clears throat> and I would have liked to have seen a better cut there to make it seem like the camera didn't move and he just went in, got hit, and came right back out. Yeah. But 
obviously they had to set it up, change it to get him to change costumes and the whole thing. I mean, these could have been shot on two different days for all I know. Right. They do it better when he recovers. Yes, yes. When they kind of flip the screen. Yes. But whenever they have to make a cut like this to give George time to change costume or like in the face and the voice when George Reeves is laying in bed and and uh, standing up in another part of the scene. Right. The cut is always a little rough. A little rough. Like in Jungle Devil, right after the explosion, the whole the whole screen moves when, <laughs> right. from the Clark shot to the Superman shot. So Jungle Devil, you get to see the white zipper behind the Ape's <laughs> costume. Yeah, so uh, comes out, this is a good scene. This is a great scene though. He does walk out in the white suit. This right here, and he, is, and he comes out like he's running out of this place. Yeah, and this makes right here is what makes this whole episode memorable. Right, is when he walks out and he's all white. Yep. It's just, it's amazing. It is. Love that white suit. I, do. I guess I already said that. Yeah, we, we've wow. talked, we've, we've discussed that. Wow. So. Wow. So anyway, yeah, he walks out now. He's, now he's lost his powers. And, and, he, know, and he knows that immediately. He knows that his strength is gone. And even though, right after, even though after they leave, he still tries to fly away. Right. Yeah, I guess if he has nothing, no, nothing's lost by trying. Except maybe for his Achilles that, tendon or something. Yeah. So he turns down every effort Lois and Jimmy make to help him. Although I do like Jack's comment that he looks like a snowman. Yeah. yeah. He uh, kind of does with the all-white. Little Jack. Yes. Yeah. Not Jack <clears throat> Larson. No, not Jack Larson, no. Quite a lot bigger than Jack Larson. Quite a lot. Now they have a brief conversation about where Clark is. And, Clark, and Superman says Clark had a meeting with the mayor, which ironically never gets mentioned again. No, but in towards the end, Lois says she just came back from the mayor. Right. And apparently no mention of Clark being there. Not at all. Was ever uh, dealt with. No. So Lois and Jimmy leave to go wherever it is they're going. And probably to the mayor's office. And Superman tries to fly with no results. So Superman will walk into the alley to change. And when he comes out, he is Clark Kent with a white face and white hands. Somehow his Clark Kent clothes are completely unaffected by what happened. I guess the pouch in the cape is very protective. Very, very protective. And I don't know how far... It is from the Daily Planet office, Dr. Watson's, from Dr. Watson's place. Am I meant to believe that nobody notices Clark walking by? All white? Apparently not. I guess less noticeable. Because I thought the same thing. I thought, why did he change back to Clark? And I thought, well, I guess he's less noticeable than he would be if he was an all white Superman walking around. But how many people with an all white face do you see walking around all the time? Never. That he would pulled turn- his hat down. He pulled his hat down. Oh, he did, yeah. He did pull his hat <laughs> down. You know, maybe, maybe he had some gloves on. I don't know. Maybe it was cold that day. Yeah. But he got back to the planet pretty quickly. He Goes did. immediately to Lois's office. Well, yeah. And he is going to raid Lois's office using um, makeup to uh, cover up his white skin. Kind of like the Joker does. Kind of. Yeah. So, so what do you think of Clark's strategy here to uh, use her makeup to uh, disguise his skin? Mascara for the hair. Yeah. It's good. It's a good thing Lois's office was fully stocked. It'd be kind of ba- embarrassing if he ran out. All women keep fully stocked, loaded bottom drawers full of makeup. Right. I know I do. <laughs> be a little embarrassing if he kind of ran out of a skin tone uh, foundation, mm-hmm. and only half of his face was still white. Yep. And without his superpowers, he still put it on pretty quickly. Oh, he did. And it looks pretty real. It does, doesn't it? Well, it's a little bit darker because Perry makes his comment that he's been to Miami because he seemed to have a tan. That was a funny line. That was. I bet I even laughed as a kid at that one. Yeah. So apparently Perry noticed that 
something was different about him. And I really can't tell that he, from my eyes that he looked any darker than normal. I think he looked a little darker right then. Right. But in, but in, not in later scenes. No, in later scenes, he's just back to normal. Right. There's no extra makeup anywhere, anytime, anything. It's just regular makeup guy. Wait till that day when he has to wash that mascara out of his hair. <laughs> so Perry calls the mayor and asks him if it's possible to postpone the election the day before. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So Clark knows that the answer is no, because he says it. <clears throat> and this is where we find out that Lois blabs about Superman's condition. This is something normally Jimmy does, so. I just think Jack wasn't available. Well, Jack went with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's just funny that you would think it happened off screen, but yeah. Jimmy's normal, normally the one to uh, blow the secrets. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, this word of Superman's condition is going to spread the word and scare the decent voters into staying home. Again, Duke is driving down voter turnout. I hear that's a tactic that works. I've heard. And not just in fiction. Mm-mm. So, back to our criminal trio here. Voter suppression laws and rules make it harder for people to vote and scare other people. That is how Buckley wins for mayor. <clears throat> so, yep. back with our, our villains. I love how conceited Dr. Watts is. He wastes no time in telling people how much of a genius he is. and Because he wants his money. Right, absolutely. And immediately after saying... He's not so dumb. Duke goes and does something done. Dumb. He decides to stiff Watts for $50,000. Yeah. Saw that coming. Yep, and Duke is very smug because he could, he could care less of whether or not uh, Watts goes to the police because he's going to be in control in a few months, so he's not worried there. Duke thinks he's going to outsmart the professor here, or the scientist, whatever he is. Right. Doctor. Dr. Watts. But... You know, one thing maybe Dr. Watts should have done is he should have asked for uh, something in advance. Yeah, that'd be a good idea if you're especially dealing with crooks. Right. Give me a little bit down or something down that you would be satisfied with if they don't pay you the rest. Because they're not going to pay you the rest. I have this feeling that Dr. Watts is somebody who doesn't deal with the outside world a whole lot. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like he's, uh, you know, kind of sheltered from the world. Very... Naive in the ways of the world. And doesn't care about politics. No, he doesn't care about anything. He probably just cares about hanging out in his lab and making stuff really cold. He is going to get even. Somehow, he's going to get even. And he's really upset, too. He, he is pissed. And he should be. Yeah, and like I said, he showed some viciousness here. And it takes him a whole day to figure it out, but he eventually figures it out. And on election day, the results are coming in early. It's Buckley 4-1. to one. Perry White getting the headline ready. Yep. Buckley wins for mayor. Yep, and they're called, ready to call it early. And Taylor is uh, bailing out all his men who are being arrested for electioneering. And Lois is talking as though Superman is dead. And you know what? They're all feeling pretty hopeless right now. Yep. They're expecting... Uh, Clark looks weak, laying, sitting in that chair with he his does. head lying back in the chair. That chair, meanwhile, has made a remarkable recovery from Clark Kent Outlaw. when uh he cut into it with a knife tried to set it on fire to kill lois and jimmy how nice was that yeah not very nice but it's nice to know that the chair is recovered yeah and it's got a nice little ottoman to go with it so clark can put his feet up the only one here that's actually doing any work is jimmy and by doing work he has to walk to the ticker type machine (laughs) all right which rattle clapped the whole time it did you could hear it in the background yeah 
Then, then they get a knock at the door, and it's Dr. Watts. Hello, Dr. Watts. Yes, on then. your mind. <clears throat> then Clark, try, Clark tries to send them away, but Dr. Watts says the election will be over, and we have to do it now. Well, I thought it was funny. I always think that's funny, because just before he knocks on the door, they're all laying around <clears throat> with nothing to do, feeling bad, feeling sorry. There's nothing they can do. And he says, maybe you can come back tomorrow. We're really busy. Well, yeah, they're busy. Uh, the election will be over tomorrow. Over it will be. Oh, it's right. not Yoda. Who is it? Talk, not, definitely not talking about Yoda. Maybe oh. that's where Lucas got the idea for Yoda. He saw this show. Well, maybe. But Yoda did a little bit different. Yoda just reversed his syntax. Exactly. This guy doesn't do that. He, he repeat, does a whole... He repeats yeah. words. Yeah. Good. I like him. I'm not sure he does it much in this scene, though. No. So, and... I don't care who wins, really. I don't care. Right. And Perry was like, well, we do! <laughs> with, a, with the kind of uh, outrage that's usually only reserved for Jimmy. Right. And... But he was upset. Yeah, but I love the take that Clark does now when the when Doctor Watts says, "Well, I created the machine that hurt him." He sits. He sits right up. He did. He just sits up and back, and his arms come down almost like he's jumping back from him or away from him or something. Is startled. What? What do you want now? And you know what? He almost became like season one Clark again. Almost. And they're all jumping, jumping at him. You got a lot of nerve coming here, and that's coming from Jimmy. Yep. Like, it's almost like Jimmy wants to throw him off the balcony. <laughs> you know, so. Watts says that an intense heat might help, and the uh, Daily Planet staff uh, votes it down, saying that it's too risky. So, it's nice that they're making the decision for him. But Clark leaves, kind of saying that Superman would try just about anything. And as Clark leaves, Jimmy is afraid that they'll never see him again. For some reason here, Lois wasn't thinking of Superman. And it's just that uh, Clark will be right back. <laughs> when is Clark just will be right back? Yeah, I don't know. Why will Clark just be right back? Well, Jimmy reminds her that it was Superman to which she was referring. Right. And so they're like, oh, this. so now they're back to being dour again. <laughs> and here's an interesting scene coming up. Mm-hmm. Clark just drives up to the Ironworks, which is closed for election day, but this security guard just lets him walk in around for no reason. With reporter credentials. With reporter I mean, credentials. You're, you, you are a security guard of a private company, corporation. A reporter comes up and says, hi, I'm Clark Kent, reporter for the Daily Planet. You don't mind if I just snoop around, do you? Oh, no, Mr. No, Kent. Come, right, come right on in. There's no question, like, for what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that does not happen in real life. It's like, you right. don't let a reporter just come in and snoop around without all kinds of stuff. And certainly not alone. Exactly. I mean... There'd be, like, management walking around with him, or... Yeah. You can't just walk up to a big blast furnace, so... That happens to be open that you can just jump into. Right, yeah. So... What? Plot. Yeah, exactly. Hair is out frozen Superman uh, going into the blast furnace. You know, he looks a little nervous before going in. A little bit. And I see he uh, puts some makeup down on his lower neck, too. Mm-hmm. So that uh, you can, it's George Reeves' skin tone all the way to his collar. Right. I'm not sure he was able to reach that when he was uh, when he was in Lois's office. Maybe he had to go buy some extra makeup. Well, I just love the fact that he did put the white costume back on just to signify that he's still frozen. I had a thought about that. Could the white costume be stuck to him? Mm, interesting. Maybe he can't take it off because it's so cold. Yeah, maybe. Like, like you know, when you touch something metal and it's cold, you stick to it. Yeah, that's interesting. Or if you're that dumbass that. kid in a Christmas store getting your tongue caught. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I thought about that. You know, maybe 
Because I thought about it with Dr. Watts, too, that his finger should have stuck to the rubber ball. I thought of that, but it so maybe occur the to me that, yeah, his costume might be just stuck to him. It, yeah, I just thought, well, maybe the costume was stuck to him. I mean, why would he put that costume back on when we know he has others at home? Exactly. So In his secret closet. The only uh, thing I can think of is that the white suit is stuck to him. Right. And that he can't get it off. Right, for in-story reasons, right? right? Because obviously they do it for the visual to let you know that he's still frozen when he's on the outside, but when he goes in, he thaws right. out. And and he's back in full color again. I, I like this shot. You get that nice dissolve, the screen uh, kind of flips. Mm -hmm. And you can tell he comes out feeling good. Feeling good, oh, yep. stretches his arms yeah, I love out, that. You get that a good chest. stretch. You know, like, yeah, he's back. He's back. Flies off to all the precincts. Yep. And uh, we don't get a flying sound as he runs off camera, though. Yeah. I thought for sure we would, but we don't. So, but he's off. He's he's back. As this is happening, Perry sends the uh, Buckley wins headline down to the uh, to the press room. And now we go to the polling station for our climactic scene here. Duke Taylor is bringing in a voter. And Little Jack is telling him to vote for Buckley, which is electioneering. And this is uh, not kosher. These four poll workers here are doing absolutely nothing about it. These four women that we see, there are two at the table and uh, one at the mm -hmm. uh, booth and another one in the background. Mm -hmm. Superman shows up and he surprises everybody that he's unfrozen and he makes a, a pun about how things are going to be warm for the criminals. <laughs> and it's a very good thing that our two poll workers in the foreground uh, got up and moved when, when Superman, Superman showed up because yeah. when Little Jack hit that chair, hit Superman with that chair, the broken shook piece of land right where they were sitting. Right where they were, right. So, it's a good thing they decided to move. You would have think Little Jack would have been smart enough to know, you don't hit Superman. Are any of these, are any of these guys smart enough? People no. still shoot at him. Yeah, no. <laughs> the voter knocks out Jack and Duke with one punch, sparing Superman the effort. Yep. Superman asks him who he's going to vote for. Yeah, but before that, uh, word travels really fast. Because apparently a ton of people are showing up just as Superman. Oh, yeah, the sound effect crowd almost like instantly. Yeah. yeah it goes from quiet to, <laughs> to all sound of a sudden there's a crowd outside. Hundreds of people have just shown up. It's like they, it's like they were waiting. Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, Superman does ask who he's voting for. And uh, Superman gives a nice little PSA about when the voter says it's still up to him and he agrees. Another little moment to preach. And the ending is that Wilson wins, Clark is feeling good, and he's. Happy to write the story. Yay! They still cram a lot in in the 26 minutes or so of these episodes. They do. They do cram a lot in. So, I mean, we make fun of the plot holes, but again, they told a story. They got the point across. You got super stuff happening. The memorable white costume. Uh, some good acting on George's part. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there are too many plot holes in this one. No, but little, little things that they kind of... There's uh, some bad science, but... Yeah, there's some science, but also just, I guess, plot holes is on it. It's um, shortcuts to move the plot right. along quicker than, you know, you might scratch your head. How did, oh, okay, well, they needed this to get to there or whatever. Right. Wow. But uh, but I think overall, and I do think it's funny that after all these years, you know, you, you think about this show, and what you think about is the white costume and right. the loss of the power and the makeup when the whole story, the underlying story, is about voter fraud, voter suppression, fear tactics, bully, um, uh, you know, the right. things that in a story like this, the way it's supposed to end is the bully doesn't win. 
Right, and he doesn't. And in the story, the bully doesn't win. No. But unfortunately, in real life, sometimes the bully wins. Right. But uh, overall, what do you think of this? Do you make this so far now of the shows that you've watched? Because you haven't watched the whole series and now going back through it. You're right. kind of watching them as, as they come up. I've been watching this one since I was a kid. Okay. This okay. was on one of those, around the late 80s, there were four volumes called TV's Best Adventures of Superman. Mm-hmm. I want to say this was on one of those volumes. Probably, right. Well, I, this is one that I probably saw as a kid yeah. in real time when it aired the very first time in 1956, I guess. When this, uh, the fourth season, I guess the air date was sometime in 56. I want to say this was on volume three of those. Yeah. But do um, so you think it deserves still to be one of the because it's still, when you ask people their favorites of the series, this one always makes the list. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very memorable. It's memorable for the white costume. Right. If the white costume wasn't there, would it be as memorable? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because I've thought about that. If it was just something where he lost his powers, like in Panic in the Sky, where he doesn't remember that he has the power, or one of the episodes where the kryptonite weakens him or something... Right. So uh, speaking of, I just mentioned that video that called TV's Best Adventures of Superman. Yes. This was on volume three. It was partnered with, these volumes had two two George Reeves episodes. Mm-hmm. One black and white, one color. This episode was paired with Panic in the Sky. Huh. Boy, that would have been a great, was that a, v, a video? A DVD, a, I mean, a, it was a VHS? V, it was a VHS tape. A and VHS tape. Right. And between the two episodes was a Fleischer cartoon. Oh, man. So it, it had... So when I was watching this tape as a kid, it would start with Panic in the Sky, and then go to the Magnetic Telescope, then the Big Freeze. Wow. That's a good VHS tape. That is a very good VHS kid to have. Well, That's a good one. All four of them are good. Yeah. Go back to what you were saying. But yeah, I have to ask myself sometimes when I look back, I think, you know, uh, and listen, looking at it today, does this episode still deserve to be one of my favorite episodes. Does it deserve to be on the list of maybe the top 10 best of the series? And I think I still put it there, but again, I think still primarily because of the white costume right. and George's acting throughout. I think if he had just lost his power, but the costume wasn't white and it didn't freeze him, I don't think it would have had the dramatic, long-term memorable effect that it has. And uh, it still sticks with me today. And today, if somebody says, what are your favorite episodes? I'll again have to clarify and say, uh, first season, put that over here all by itself right. because that's a beast unto itself. But with the remaining episodes, <laughs> if you only had to pick 10 or 15 out of the remaining 50 some episodes, would this one still be up there? And I think, yeah, I think I still put it yeah, up I there. Do too. I still put it up there with some of the best and most memorable. George is really good in it. He looks good. There's good acting throughout. Uh, even in their quick scenes, Perry White is emotional, but appropriately emotional. Right. Everybody does really, really good jobs with this. The, the, the doctor is good. Richard Reeves as the comic sidekick thug mobster is terrific. Um, so I, I still put this one right up there with uh, a couple that I'll be back on for the, the, the cube. Right. Um, uh, and a few others that are, are some, you know, high on my list. And I think I still keep this one up there. I think the Big Freeze still deserves its place up in, as, as one of the best. Okay. 
Yeah, I do too. And I do believe this might be Richard Reeves' last time on the show. I don't think he comes back after this. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked that far ahead yet. I'm not sure what... He's been on the show five times. Wow, seems like more, doesn't it? It does. And I'm pretty sure we've seen him five times. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Interesting. Well, that's too bad. I'm going to miss him. But he does come back for the Superboy he does, episode he does pilot in back. 1960. That was shot, I think, in 1960. Was it 60? Yeah, I think hmm. it was 60. Or 61. Even. Yeah, it was, well, I thought it was 61. But I yeah. could be wrong. It might have been shot in 60. Well, 60 or 61. It was, it was one of those two. But that's still... You know, two or so years after this ended. Yeah. And Richard still comes back to do, to mate, to be the thug in that. I watched part of that last night. I was trying to get, see if they had an opening music theme that I could use. Right. And I ended up just watching the beginning and then what, uh, maybe I'll watch a little more of this and watched most of the episode. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I still think this one deserves And I'm glad that you still put it up in one of your favorites too. Well, this is always be one I'll, I remember from... As a kid. Yeah, and I, I also remember it as a kid. And the white costume is makes it memorable and right. dramatic. And so dramatic. So, very good. A couple of good ones tonight. Oh, this yeah, we had some good ones. A couple of good ones. A couple of good ones. All right. So, as always, where can they find you? You can find me over at the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. That's where you'll find me. And Facebook under Bob Fisher. And we also have a Facebook page for the thing. I don't do Twitter or Pinterest or Snap this or Snap that. or I don't do anything. I do Facebook, and I spend way too much time on that. <laughs> so, uh, But that's where I am, Facebook and uh, on the web at supermanforever.com. And uh, this show is found at manofscreen.podomatic.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed, and you can... Find it there, and you can come and talk to us, say hi. show is also on Twitter. You can find that at Mana Screencast. You can leave reviews for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That'll help others find the show. And uh, next time, I will be covering Peril by Sea, and Phil Teed will return to the Adventures of Superman, making his debut as Professor Pepperwinkle in Topsy Turvy. Oh, you get, those are two good episodes. Actually. They are. I, I enjoyed both of those. You've got a great villain in uh, Peril by Sea who went on to do good television roles as both good guy and bad guy. Right. A ton of westerns, and of course, Topsy Turvy. That's that's uh They had to be careful shooting that one and playing tricks with cameras and stuff. So right, a couple of fun episodes. Yeah, that's a great back. Phil T. I believe Ben Weld is in that episode too. Uh, I think you're right. So that is. For next time. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.